Ah. Mama. Mama. We made it. Plow, 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 plow. What it, what it, what it do now? And we're here. And we back. You hear the sirens in the, the background? The sirens are banging. When, when that happens, that just means it's about to be a vibe. And ladies and gentlemen, come on, sirens, sirens, that's not an effect. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the lovely Leslie Rosales in the building with us, Leslie. Thank you kindly. That's our studio audience. Yeah. Oh, sounds good. The, the Nushi Raushi studio <laughs> audience. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Man, I, I'm, I'm really excited to be able to dive into this story with you, Les. Um, you have such a, an amazing story. You have such an amazing energy and aura and like what you've been able to do and just the facets of your being are just so layered. And I feel like this is one of the most beautiful, pivotal times that we get to really take a dive into the human being of Leslie Rosales. Mm. And I'm extremely happy that you get to share this with us. And we get to do this on the Mama We Made It platform. Yeah. yeah. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is Leslie Rosales brought to you by them Mama We Made It boys. Uh, yay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Les, I want to kind of talk about your upbringing. You're a native Angelino, no? Yep, born and raised. Born and raised. Where were you born at? I was born at Queen of Angels Hospital, downtown LA. Mm. Shout out to Queen of Angels. Shout out to the Queen of Angels. <laughs> an, an angel came out of the queendom. Yeah. That's right. That's a gorgeous scenario. <laughs> and the queen. What was what was the what was your upbringing like? Like where where did you grow up? Like how was how was your childhood? Upbringing. Uh, my parents and I. So I have one older brother. Okay. We had a two-bedroom apartment in the Filipino historic town in L.A. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we were there, and then in 88, for some reason, my mother decided to, well, my parents decided to buy a house in South Central L.A. Oh, oh there it in, is. In the late 80s. <laughs> All right. In <laughs> South Central how, how, how L.A. Was, how was that time? That, <laughs> yeah. that seems like a, that's a very hectic time in South Central. Yeah, no? when you think about it, four years after that, that was the LA riots yeah. and wow. we were in it or not in it but we were definitely in the in middle the of, of it, it. For yeah sure. absolutely what was that like as a kid like moving to to South Central and like growing up in that area naturally because naturally as kids you're not really aware yeah, of the implications of all that yeah um what was that childhood like let's see I was four when we moved and I I was entering kindergarten mm. and the elementary school that was literally down the street from my house was full or they weren't taking any more kids. Mm. So my mother found a Christian school like 10 blocks away. So wow. for kindergarten, I went to Woodcrest Nazarene Christian School and all of my classmates were black. And I had no sense that I was different. Yeah. We're like, we're all kids. Mm. Yeah. And my... Cl what I, kids do, though. You yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't remember any kind of like... I don't remember getting made fun of because I was different during kindergarten. Like, we were all kids. We yeah. We were just trying to have fun. It's crazy you think about like, even just like 
putting just race and just ethnicities in the table mm-hmm. when you're children like you don't you don't know that the kid next to you is white or the person next to you is Korean yeah. or or mm-hmm. black it's just like you see each other as children yeah. but as you grow up like it's it's one of those things where you just i feel like all of these things are so taught to us like they're learned traits instead mm-hmm. of just like us as human beings yeah. right um now what 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 were you like as a kid? Like, what was like the young Leslie like? Young Les was a tomboy for mm. sure. I have one older brother, and every weekend, we, my family and I, we would go over to my cousin's house in Gardena, and all of my cousins there were men. were were boys. I yeah. had one older female cousin and one younger female cousin but we were surrounded by boys mm-hmm. all the time and we all played rough like we would play basketball or football or we would my brother loved to make go-karts and makeshift mopeds really? and that's awesome yeah i was a tomboy growing up most definitely i just wanted to have fun i had no cares in what children what, have yeah, what cares do? yeah i just want to go to school <laughs> hang with my friends and i knew every weekend i looked forward to hanging out with my cousins and hanging with fam so that was me as a kid. You were like that in school too? Just yeah. Just a very active kid? Super active. I think in elementary school and in middle school, I played every sport there was. Really? Yeah. If there was a girls team, I was on it. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. That's incredible. Super active in sports. I was a track runner in middle school. A pretty fast one too. Nice. I ran a hundred meter and... I remember I'd go to track meets and I would get medals. There like, you go. I was never a gold medalist, unfortunately, but I have a couple silver and bronze medals. I mean, hey, you got me- medals. A, a medals. I have medals, medals right. Medals. We, we don't need to talk about color. We don't need to talk about color. You're right. We don't need to talk about color. Was sports like a really big part of your life as a youth? Absolutely. I, I realized that. You know, that's how you make friends, by getting involved in school, Mm -hmm. in school activities. And my mother worked every day from 9 to 6. My father didn't work. Um, What did your mother do? My mother was an accountant. Mm. She's retired now, but she was an accountant. My father didn't work. He was like a stay-at-home dad. But So my mother, she would rather... She would want me to just stay at school and get involved in whatever after school program was going on. She just she wanted me to stay active. Got it. And was that yeah. important staying active? I mean, because we, we've talked to other guests about that have grown up in either South Central or other rough areas at mm-hmm. times. And staying active and in, in, in all those activities was so important because of what was going on in the neighborhood. Yeah. Was that a part of where of your neighborhood? Was was did you see that? Did you experience that? And did that play an effect on on what you were doing in school? Absolutely, especially when I was in high school. Um, I went to Washington Prep, mm-hmm. which is dead smack in the middle of unincorporated Los Angeles in in South Central, and all the kids who weren't involved in either sports or performing arts or whatever else they were in the streets yeah and even with the crips and even before Honestly. even before high school too like i'm sure throughout middle and elementary school yeah. you still see that at a young <coughs> at a young age yeah did you experience that at school as well um not so much in elementary cuz okay. you know we're Everyone's we're just, kids yeah um a little bit in middle school that's when i started to see the transition between mm-hmm. okay 
we're not innocent kids anymore. Like mm. they're the bad ones are really showing There's themselves. There's real life right around now. Yeah. us. How yeah. did you yeah. you personally transition into that? Like, were you ever directly affected by it, or your friends that were maybe once innocent now? turning that corner yeah i've seen a couple friends who male friends who you know were kids growing up playing basketball and then middle school i witnessed their turn as far as them getting bad grades or not showing up to class because they're ditching school or getting affiliated with gangs in the neighborhood like yeah that was very much so real was that something where you you had like your, you and your mom had like talks about that and just like no, just, no. I didn't have these conversations with my Filipino mother <laughs> I didn't have, those weren't conversations in our household <laughs> I just envisioned it with my Filipino mother like I yeah, just like, envisioned like, don't drink like about to have the conversation but you'd just rather eat like the bomb adobo and stuff. <laughs> yeah. For real. No, I'm just going to eat this. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you were kind of going into high school, like, did you, were you having like aspirations and dreams? Did you want to kind of take sports seriously? What was like that trajectory for you? Even though, like, you know, as kids, we all have ambitions and dreams and whatnot. Sometimes they're like, ones that we just set our minds to and go mm -hmm. and others it's just like there's so many things in our lives that we want to explore what were some of those things for you just like in that time period of yours where you're in that transitional phase into like young adulthood i wanted to explore my teens i wanted to explore acting and performing mm. okay. so I, yeah i was involved in my high school's performing arts department and it was real big and we were Real good. Mm. Like, I went to school with a bunch of triple threats, like mm. actors, singers, dancers. Wow. And I wanted to do that. I was a dancer. I performed all day, every day. And I wanted to get into acting and dancing. That's incredible. People don't know that about they me. They don't know <laughs> that. What was your affinity to that? Uh, art. Just the And being expression. to express myself artistically. Mm. Yeah. What were some of those memories from that? Like, how was that for you? Memories. Um, so I did a lot of, I was involved with our drama department. So I was involved like in plays and musicals. And we had this director. His name is Mark Swinton. A, just a, an amazing guy. Shout yeah. Out Shout out to Mark Swinton. Mark Swinton story on him so he was my high school director he was very strict on us as far as kind of a disciplinarian with uh making sure we show up on time mm -hmm. and having a strict work ethic and practicing on your craft and constantly working on it he was definitely someone in my life early on or in high school who kind of instilled that in me like work ethic and working hard mm. and time management so mark swin now works with tyler perry and is like wow uh, an executive producer down there in atlanta that's incredible so his story is dope too like I ran into him in Times Square of all places. Like, stop! That. Like, how do you in run Times in? Square? Yeah, there are like a, thousands like of people out there. That's like winning the lotto. Like, <laughs> like hey, yeah. Um, I saw a man walking. I'm like, that looks like Swinton. And I look. I was like, oh, it's Swinton in wow. Times Square. I stop him. He looks at me like, hey, are you doing? He's in Atlanta working with Tyler Perry. And I told him, well, yeah, I'm here in New York and I work with Nas. Wow. 
Wow. And he's just like, wow. Proud of you. (laughs) Just that moment. Yeah. You know what's wild about teachers like that, right? Is that the ones that really kind of put that structure down Mm -hmm. and like kind of hold a heavy hand. Was he the type that kind of held a heavy hand, but also wanted people to really explore the depths of their possibilities? Yes. Mm. Absolutely. He was a a teacher of tough love. Um, Mm. I think kids have a lot of people telling us we're doing well when we're not necessarily doing well. Yeah. So he definitely told us the truth as far as, you know what? You're not so much of a great actor or dancer. Maybe you should look into something else. Mm. He was that person. Mm. But if he saw a skill, if he saw it in you, he brought it out of you. Incredible. Yeah, he was that kind of teacher. And he brought out amazing things out of a lot of kids. That's unbelievable. I mean, sometimes you need to go through the depths of yourself to find it. Mm -hmm. Like Even when somebody tells you, look, like this may not be for you, but... The ones that were kind of lollygagging anyways where it really makes sense are like, well, yeah, you're right. But then there's other kids that's like, you're not going to tell me what's good for me or what's not. I'm mm-hmm. going to work so hard and show you that this is for me. And it really, like, I guess, challenges themselves to, to find the greatness that's within reach of their own being, mm-hmm. right? Because a lot of times there's a level of like fear in a lot of us, right? It, uh, whether it's the unknown or the uncertainty or of like how we're perceived. But I feel like those that really kind of pursue their path have this sense of personal resolve, right? Naturally, it kind of builds as we grow. Mm. But there's a level of like resolve within us that allows us to kind of carry on. Mm. How do you think that kind of experience of doing sports and then doing the arts and the crafts really formed your being into your kind of transition into young adulthood like how do you think that really like formed your character and just like your wants and your aspirations it working in teams Mm. is key Mm. it builds your communication skills it builds your social skills it builds how you interact with people in different situations that was key that's key for me to be able to communicate with other people other personalities And trying to, especially in teams, like trying to accomplish a task with a group of people and executing. That are all different. All different. Different personalities. Especially with like theater and acting and drama and things like that where everyone, you're supposed to showcase personalities and express that and also reach a level of vulnerability and feel comfortable and confident enough to do that. Yeah. You know, it also comes at such a pivotal time feel when you're like a teen and you need that influential person or someone to guide you to realize or start diving into your own greatness or even your own possibility of what that can become yeah those teen moments you know what i mean there's i feel so much that things can go one way or the other you know you're becoming yeah and you you're going through a lot of weird changes yeah Mm -hmm. Physically, mentally, insecurities start popping out at that age. Absolutely. So to be in a place and having this type of teacher in an environment who can make those things come out, that that vulnerability come out and make you feel comfortable with that and work with other people and be a part of a team must be incredibly powerful at at that young age. Absolutely. 
there weren't too many teachers that were doing that. Yeah. And that's beautiful. Just yeah. the power of teachers. Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. It plays a really pivotal role in, in our development, right? I feel like it's one of those things where as kids, we're naturally looking for uh, role models, right? right? Yeah. Like when you're older and you start going into your career, they tell you about the importance of mentors and the importance of people that have done it before and have experienced the trenches. And for like the development of youth, I feel like teachers play a very pivotal role in providing the nurture for possibilities within our own mind. Right. right? There are a lot of kids that get told they can't do this and they can't do that. And the only ones that break out of that are the ones that say, no, you're wrong. I can't. Mm -hmm. And then there's other teachers that, that really sound like yours in, in the acting classes was that he saw strengths and pulled it out. Cause yeah. sometimes we don't know what we have. Right. Right. And to be able to have, uh, a teacher that we look up to telling us like explore that like go deeper like reach the, the 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 like unlimited bounds it gives us such a strength internally mm -hmm. to like really explore and you start really building yourself right these are building blocks into your own character like to be able to kind of explore the uncertainty of possibilities younger you become far more comfortable with that as you grow, whereas if you weren't, it's like you're just in a constant state of like uncertain flux, right? right. Did you find yourself like you've been sports, team activities, group activities? Did you kind of find yourself becoming a leader early on, or was it more of a facilitator in the group? I found myself being a leader, yeah, early on. You better believe that. <laughs> Early on. My senior year in high school, I was the senior class president. Oh, wow. They voted the only Asian girl oh. in the school <laughs> to be the president. Um, they didn't elect me because I was only Filipino. Oh, but, yeah, I, I'm not going to say I ran. Wait, so you hold on. Now, hold on. Yeah, now, now we need to, like, she, see, she pause. Thought, she thought she was going to get away with that, like, yeah. class president. And then like that, that she, was gonna, she, she was going to die. That was like a it. shimmy brush off. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you class know president, they, I'm humble. So, okay. <laughs> see, see, see what not, you did to no, now, See what you did? I'm, <laughs> you got him riled up, Leslie. I'm about, okay, I've contained <laughs> myself, y'all. And now we're here. So, not only were you in multiple sports, mm -hmm. right? Winning medals. Look, the gold is amongst you, but you're still getting medals, right? <laughs> sports, acting, academia, and student government. Like, hold on. What was life like during that time? Like, you were just always active then. Mm -hmm. how, how, how was that for you balancing that as a youth? Was it just happenstance or was it like you were like literally like i want to get the max out of everything i possibly can and explore every avenue because rarely do people do that mm -hmm. yeah. right like what was that like, what was that like for you that that was you i'm literally looking at you juggle just like different tasks <laughs> and responsibilities well definitely who definitely helped early on was my mother because she wanted me involved mm -hmm. in different activities at school so by the time I was in high school, like I had already gone through nine years of 
being involved in sports and and everything else at school. So when I got so in high school, it was easy. Like on TV, right? They make it seem, or some shows made it seem like if you were in government, you were corny, or you were a nerd, or if you were in drama, you were some weird acting freak, and that was yeah. Cool, insert label here. Yeah. Yeah. At my school, if you were involved. You were dope, like, and everybody wow. looked up to you. And it, it just, just like, you didn't have to be an athlete to be cool <clears throat> mm-hmm. at my school. Wow, really? You could, and a lot of the students did a lot of things at once. Like, we were in government, we played sports, and we did drama. Like, kids at my school were super involved. Super dope. That's yeah. incredible. It was cool to to be active. Absolutely. And not be in the streets. Absolutely. Yeah. It's wild because when you think about those types of areas, right? And we've had multiple guests kind of touch on possibility, mm-hmm. right? When you grow up in areas like the South Centrals and the Inglewoods, it's one of those scenarios where as a kid, you're seeing all of this around you. And they, they kind of described as they grew older, like it's such a bubble, Like, rarely do kids that are immersed in those neighborhoods get out to the point where they see different things. It's Mm -hmm. kind of like this own little world, and you're in it, and you're managing how how best you can do within it. But some people get to see the possibilities of where life can take you. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the greatest things about sports and the creative path is you see that there's really no bounds for expression and life and where your craft and your being can take you so it's it's really beautiful for me to look at like how immersed you were in activities and how important that was to even everybody in your in your classes Mm -hmm. right to where you see so much opportunity and you're so willing to explore that naturally you're bound to fall into possibilities when you were kind of set on graduating like what were you what were your plans? Like, what were your thoughts? Like, how, what was that transitional, like, time period like for you? I was, let's see, senior year in high school, I was involved, not so much in sports. I was all... So you went super create, like... I went, I was expression. all in, yeah, theater so, so and really, performing arts. You really, you really found a love for that. Yeah, love Did you for feel dance. like you found yourself more through that, like, the arts... I did. It was an expression for me. I think at, definitely as a kid, I was so bottled up with emotion and being able to let it all out through dance or through acting. Like that was my expression. That was my way of getting it all out. So release. Yeah. There you go. That was my release. Yeah. And you, you found that in high school. You, yep. That's so interesting. You found know. that in high school. Uh, Mr. Swinton, and one quote that he would always say to us was, idle time is the devil's playground. Ooh, stop that. Mr. Swinton. Mr. Swinton. What's going down? Swinton had all the quotes. Idle time (laughs) is the devil's playground. Stop that. All the quotes. (laughs) Wow. Swinton on the coats. We got Metro on the beat. We got Swinton on the quotes. So yeah, we had had to stay active because if we didn't stay active in school, like I had a a classmate was shot literally across the street from the school. Wow! After school, shot and killed. I had 
another friend of mine, a homegirl, she was shot and killed in front of her house, and that oh, was a couple man. blocks away from the school. So it was real outside of school. <sighs> yeah, I mean, when you said I went to Washington Prep, it was like, okay, it, it's it's interesting to see the how being active was cool mm-hmm. versus um, other schools where the labels can be much different. Right. But the opposite of cool, if it's not cool, then look at the other side of life right. that you're living. I feel like being active was our way of survival. Absolutely. <sighs> that's what it yeah. really was. And that's real. And that's yeah. very real. Wow. That's yes. what it really was. It's Off like, top. you know, the, the bell rang. I think I'm just going to stay on campus where we're safe. And yeah. And figure it out. Was it's, that was that a? Uh, uh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, baby. Was that a um, a conscious motivation, or was it? Were you just so in it that that was just simply life? I was so in it. It was just my lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful, also, to to hear that, like, the expressionist craft was looked upon as something of value, mm-hmm. right? Because when you think about those neighborhoods. And you think about the success stories that they hear, right? Like you have like communities like this, like where, whether it's like suburbia or these worlds, like parents focusing on education and being a doctor or a lawyer or this, that, and the other thing. And then you have communities, you know, when, when you think about like the hood communities, it's, it's, it, it's so interesting to think about how the only outlets, right? a lot of times outside of if somebody's focused on, on school and education is sports and music. Yeah. Like the only thing that are like avenues to get out is being a great athlete or being a rapper or a singer or whatnot. And to have this community and and this like youth presence of like, okay, expressionism is where we're at. Like if you're in track or if you're in the arts or if you're in the drama program, like all of these, like to have even that, because I feel like self-expression in and of itself is the outlet for a lot of us, like any human being, right? To be able to freely express oneself is like a liberation and a freedom into being able to really be vulnerable with oneself and find, like... It's one of those things where I just feel like we just all have to stay curious, you know yeah. what I'm saying, and, and, and find our avenues because as much as we want our steps or the, the five and the ten year plan to be mapped out, life really comes at you fast. At you fast. So fast. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, you know, and we were talking earlier and, and we were kind of just discussing how things just started to fall into place for you. Yeah. Right. Um, what was what was your transition from, from, from high school? Like, was, was, was it on your mind of like, okay, I'm going to go to XYZ college and I want to do this, that, and the other? Like, what was that kind of transition pivot point for you when you started thinking about when you, excuse me, enter the real world? When I was 16... I started promoting high school parties. Uh. So I, in high school, I was also known for, I was involved with the Co- the LA Coca-Cola Street team. Mm. And they, or we, hosted high school parties here in LA. 
That's so lit. <laughs> Y'all who's she's in like, high school? She's like, I was class president. I, I was class president, but I was also the party plan. Like, I was. <laughs> like, Yo, the government's going to be tight can and I have so are the parties. Can I real quick? <laughs> Where you at? Yeah. So I was with the LA Coca-Cola Street team, and yeah, we, we would show up to other schools' football games, pass out Coca-Colas. We would, yeah, we would tour to, to different high schools, pass out Cokes, and we would have Coca-Cola high school parties. <laughs> That's, That's so lit. That's amazing. So that was my junior year in high school. And then senior year, Coca-Cola decided to cut the program. Uh, Shame on them. Don't know why, but it's okay. And the college leader of that group decided to start a company called 212 Enterprises. And we started throwing... 212 started, kind of took over. We, mm. like, we took pretty much that plan that Coca-Cola had... And we mirrored it mm. and started 212 Enterprises. We would go to different high schools, pass out flyers for a party. 212. And, it, oh, it was cracking. Like, I'd say from, like, 2000 to about 2005, like, we had the party. We had the city lit. That's amazing. So what was that like, balancing that, the throwing these parties, and also school and maintaining grades and maintaining everything you're doing there was there was it all just one big conglomerate for you of just being constantly active because it also sounds like a lot of positive things too yeah you know coming from and and not to go back to like your your neighborhood or your area so much but it's like in an area where so much negative is probably happening around you Mm -hmm. i mean you just said know two people who got shot i don't know anyone who got shot from my high school when i was a kid Mm -hmm. like that's just anomaly you said it's just so almost normally so in a place where so much negativity can go on you're doing so many positive things from parties to to student government to sports and keeping active was all that just one big part of how you were you're trying to live your life at that time absolutely um as I've stated, I wanted to stay active, but it seemed like everything kind of intertwined together. Mm. Um, it helped that being president, it helped that I had a plug to like parties. Yeah. So I threw our schools after prom. And, and also being your, taking that leader role, you know. Yeah. I feel like the leader role is coming out in you, in you through these things. Yeah. It was... On the social end, yeah. talk to him, Joe. On the academic end, and, <laughs> and it's rare. It, it's, it's it's rare when those two collide. Yeah, like, you know what I mean. I, I think that's just such a cool dichotomy uh, of your role as a, a, a true leader and mm. your, your greatness kind of developing in these things from and kind of comfort in that in in those roles. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like that's like it's crazy. Like thinking about that, it's like you. you your life and your, your your decisions kind of really allowed you from a young age to feel comfortable in groups of people, to feel comfortable knowing that there are multiple parts of a team that make something work. Yeah. Right? Like, if you have a task, whether it's a sport, whether it's a play, whether it's a, a production, whether it's a party, you being at the helm of these things, you realize, you're starting to realize way early how, okay, we have these ideas, but 
there are a lot of pieces to this puzzle that will make it as great as we want to or not. Right. And and with that, it's like when you say you're a leader, what does that even really mean? You don't just necessarily say, I'm a leader. Yeah. It's like, but from what you're doing and the actions you're doing, it seems like those leadership qualities. And I want to ask you, like, for you, what does it mean to be a leader? For me, being a leader means being able to captain the ship, but also being able to teach everyone Mm. how to captain the ship. That's very important. If I have to jump ship. (sighs) Um, Wanting everyone to come up with you and not just being the leader and trying to keep everybody else down. Yeah. But also teaching others. That's very important. Absolutely. It, 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 yeah, that's, that's extremely important because I feel like in this day and age that we are now, and we're going to get to kind of like think of this later, it, like it, it's beautiful to me to see that the, this leader in you is, has been destined to blossom from the onset of your early life, mm-hmm. right? There's sometimes where kids go to college and then just start finding themselves and then just start being way more active and doing the party stuff and the promote. Like, people find their path far later, but I feel like the things that you've been a, a part of in your life, and this is so beautiful in, in just the blossoming of your being, is that you were thrown in the teams early. Mm-hmm. You started really taking a liking to... The, just being active and being creative and then also taking positions of leadership to where you're really developing this confidence far earlier. And this is understanding of the importance of it far earlier than a lot of us really have the opportunity to even like think about. Right. So it's just like the foundational elements of your path are just being set in stone, right? It's not mm-hmm. like you're thinking like, okay, I'm going to be the president and I'm going to do this because I want to be a leader and I'm right. going to do that because I want to yeah. be a leader. They're not like actions to be, to fulfill that right. title. Yeah, right. It's not like end goal here. Okay, right. I'm going to join this because that's going to help. It's more so of like, I'm in this. Oh, wow. This is actually really cool. Yeah. Or, oh man, like, the possibility, like throwing a party, what can we do better? How can we build this up? So literally your decisions have put you in this spot of just like all of these things are literally just like a, a, a tsunami mm-hmm. of experiences that, that are building a level of comfort for it, right? Because I feel like in our youth, you know, we're always trying to fit in. Right, like yeah. the, 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 there's things ab- about childhood and 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 just like the youth conundrum of like I I just want to feel like I'm a part of it, right? And hearing your upbringing up until this point, it's far more of you're a part of it, but you're creating it. Yeah, and it comes down to just like the path like you didn't you didn't go out there with the onset of doing that but it was just like the things in your life that led up into this point allowed you to have this 
this sort of, you know what, it's sort of like an ease of freedom with that because you've just experienced it time and time again, mm -hmm. right? Like when we talk about like the workforce and all of these things, we, we really start talking about being comfortable in the trenches, right? Like you, you can't know what something is unless you're in the thick of it. Right. right. And it was set up for you very young that you were just in the thick of these things. Like while you're doing them, they're just things that are being done. But when you kind of look back on it, you're like, wow, like that kind of did set the stage mm -hmm. for being able to be comfortable when timing and the opportunity meets in this life of ours. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Which is absolutely gorgeous <laughs> and to, to go on what you're saying too you said something about fitting in and i want to just take that opportunity to ask what does it mean for you to be filipino mm -hmm. through this in a majority black community and taking on this leadership role mm -hmm. for you what, what what was what's your connection and your identity all about i think i really didn't get into my culture and being Filipino till I was an adult. Wow. Till my 20s. Okay. So definitely when I was conscious enough to know that I was different than everyone else, I am Asian and I'm at this predominantly black and Latino high school, I definitely associated myself more in the urban and black culture. Absolutely. Um, but I did feel like, okay, I'm repping for the family. Yeah. Repping for my yep. cousins. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I listen to nothing but rap, and I wear Tommy Hilfiger and Nautica. Oh, you just flossing? Like, just like my counterparts, but you know, I'm, I'm repping for the family. I, I didn't really get into my culture till I was an adult, till I started traveling to the Philippines more. Wow! And learning about my family's history, more stories about my grandfather, who is my hero. Mm. Stories about his work ethic and what he did to get our family here to America. Wow. Like, that's when I was like, okay. And that, and that came later? Was in, That came in my 20s, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because, you, you know, as a so, kid, you're, you're so wrapped up and just like, I mean, yeah. going back to four-year-old Leslie mm -hmm. to now, you don't really realize maybe so much that you're that different because you're among this community for so long. Right. But once you step out and going back to what Nushi was saying, the transition from high school, stepping out into the world is, is Leslie. You're now, what was that first step out of high school? The first step out of high school, I think the, that's, those were my lost years after high school. No How long, so? Like getting out of the routine of, okay, from 750 to 320, I'm in these classes at these times with these groups of people and I have my groups of friends. Yeah. Like once you get out of high school, that no longer there is no bell telling you, okay, it's time to leave this class and go to another. Like college is kind of a free for all as far as you can go. If you don't want to go, you can yeah. sleep in. Um no one's really telling you like I definitely felt victim to that like <laughs> soiree of choices that we had. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah, yeah you, you naturally feel a little lost at yeah. first, I'm sure. And at that point I was still promoting. So now that I'm out of high school, I started to get into college party promoting. Where did you go to college? Were you local or did Yeah, you local. Go? I went to AIU. It's right next to LMU. Okay. So 
been in LA my yep. whole life. Yeah. Um, so I started to get into the college party scene and I think I got lost in that as far as just wanting to party all the time. Yeah. What was it about that? Was it just youth? Like I think it was just youth and want the want to be in the scene. Um but I think even me being lost in that was a part of my life that had to happen Absolutely. for me to be who I am now. Because I've ma I made so many connections Yeah, being in the party scene. Like I can, after college, when I turned 21, I entered the Hollywood nightlife scene. Mm. And I was promoting in 21 and over clubs. And around that time, one of my best friends, Brian, he wanted to be a DJ. And he needed a manager. And I stepped up and I said, hey, I'll be your manager. It, it helped because I was a promoter. So it was kind of easy for me to plug him into the clubs yeah. that I was promoting in. Even though I had to beg the promoters, like, yo, just book him. He could open. You don't have to pay. Like, <laughs> just get him in there. Yeah. And, yeah, so I would get him to DJ in these clubs. And and that was the start of uh, can you can you kind of dive into like the like cuz that's a beautiful scenario right it's yeah. like a lot of people have these moments in life where it's like well my friend was doing this and i kind of had this skill set and it was just kind of like happened yeah right was it one of those scenarios? I, I want to really just kind of dive into like the intricacies yeah. and take a couple breaststrokes in there. <laughs> Michael Phelps, yeah. Michael yeah. Phelps, baby. Michael Nushi, Phelps with Nushi the swim Phelps, moves. Nushi Rousey Phelps with it, just sweet. <laughs> no, but was was it one of those? Because I feel you completely, right? And like we, like it's it's so beautiful how we can glaze over it and it's kind of like yeah, you know what happened. But then like it's like somebody's listening to like. Oh, it happened. Like, how can it just happen for me? Like, right. it was it one of those things where you were being, because it comes one of two ways, mm -hmm. right? It comes, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it comes, it's like, you're close with a party that's like your friend Brian, your best friend Brian, Brian, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, where it can be like, yo, Les, like, I'm trying to do all this. Like, you're doing that. Can you help me? Or... On, on another level, it's like you're over there like, look, I'm doing all this. You're trying to do all that. What do you want to really do with this? Let's, let's give it a shot. Mm -hmm. How did that kind of like come about? So. There we go. Whoa. <laughs> smile. <laughs> Yo, if you saw yeah. Leslie. Leslie <laughs> smiled just like, ooh. <laughs> so I did skip like the five five years. <laughs> As far as like me starting college and promoting college parties. Let's jump back to that then. Okay. I was heavily in the college party scene in I LA bet. from 2002 to 2006. I was in it. Elaborate on that. There was a website. Okay. That was called theclubmix.com. Okay. And it was the hub of all college parties in LA. A friend of mine, his name is Kevin Campbell, he developed and and developed, designed and ran the site. And it was it was the first Facebook. It was the first MySpace. It was before all of it. It was wow. it was the first social media platform. Like there was a chat box where people can like chat with each other. There are forums and there are galleries of pictures of people at parties. It was like 
I would say it was the first social network, especially geared toward yeah, geared hey. towards college students in LA. Like just hearing that just makes me like think of like the logo was like a little martini. Glass no, like a- it was actually a moon. <laughs> the logo was a moon. Um, but I think anybody who was in college between those years knew of the club mix. It was yeah. like the hub for all college parties. And I was a photographer for that site. Oh. So I would go to... A photographer too? Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, hold on. We're just adding things. That's <laughs> I was a photographer for that site. So I would go to all the parties and literally take pictures of people and post them on, this, on the website. See, so that was, at- back then, that was new. People weren't seeing pictures of themselves on no, the internet. you're right. So I was a photographer during... In, in my college years. So that's why everybody wanted to know me. Like, hey, can you take my picture? It was really because of that. They wanted me to take their yeah. picture hey, and post it on Leslie. the side. Hey, Liz! Oh. <laughs> 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 yeah. And back then, my nickname was Big Les. So I was like, Big Les! Big oh, Les! Yo, get, get this picture. Get so snapshot. Yeah, I was definitely, I was heavy in the college party scene. Oh, wow. And I was still promoting college parties then, like 212. As I, I feel like as I grew up, as I aged, so did the company. So we threw high school parties and I started college, we started throwing college parties. And when I turned 21, 21 and over joints in LA. But yeah, college years, lit in LA. What was that balance like for you? Were you just like kind of like, okay, school's cool, I'm here, but like this is really building? Mm -hmm. Or was it, you know, you had to make a stark separation of just like, okay, cool, like I got to get my school stuff done and then this life is lit. Like we just got to like live it up. Dude, life was lit and I dropped out of college. I feel you. (laughs) I feel you. What made you make that decision? A long okay, so the evolution of LA Coca-Cola Street team to two twelve to Big Les in the picture. Big Les two twelve ended up turning into Dynasty Enterprises, okay. which was like our twenty one and over promo name because yeah. two twelve was too associated with high school and college parties. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we needed a gro- new grown up name, so it ended up being Dynasty Enterprises, and Dynasty Enterprises ended up turning into a company called Imagine Entertainment Group. Stop. Which is an artist management firm. So Imagine came from Dynasty Enterprises. Yep. Wow. Wait, whoa. Hold on. So now with that being said, let's start talking about the team of Dynasty Enterprises. Okay. And how that all came together. Like how Big Les was a part of this squad. Like who was the squadron back at that time? Dynasty Enterprises, me, uh, Steve Higgs, Brian Delaney, Gabriel Zardes, Dennis Wen, Gabe G Code, and the infamous Anthony Saleh. Anthony Saleh, <laughs> Dynasty Enterprises. This is gorgeous. Yeah. How? What? Like, tell me how that happened. Tell me how that built. Like that, because look, a lot of people just on the offshoot aren't going to know those names unless right. you're really like Yeah, unless in you're it. in it. Like right. I'm over here smiling from ear to ear, <laughs> chubbalicious cheeks just glistening right now. <laughs> but how'd that all come together? Because like for me, I'm over here like, whoa, you're dropping hitters right now. Like, wait, this became Imagine? 
Yeah. Hold up. Right? But how'd that all happen? Like that, that's just like young love to me. It's like a Ryan Gosling, Rachel McAdams <laughs> scenario. You feel me? Like I'm looking at this. I'm already like in the ocean, just like hugging on to somebody. Notebook part know, like, two, <laughs> Dynasty. How? Hold on. How'd that all like come together? I think it was just the evolution of what next after party promo. I think we had aspirations of like. Owning and a y'all club were all one day, young. Early 20s. Wow. Early 20s. Like when we were promoting when we were promoting clubs, like we had aspirations of possibly owning a club in LA. Like that was our goal. Yeah. It'd be dope. We'll have our own club. Everybody come to us. We'll hire promoters. And then it went from, all right, let's promote concerts. And then we did that. Around 2005, 2006, we hosted a couple concerts. Our biggest concert was, it was at the Shrine Auditorium in L.A. Mm, nice. So this was in 2006. Our opening act was Trey Songs. Our middle act was Lil Wayne. Stop. And the headliner was Young Jeezy. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So think about where Show they man. all are out wow. in wow. their yes. careers now. But when we had that concert, it was top of 2006, I think. Thug Motivation 101 just went platinum. Yeah. <laughs> like, that was a killer lineup. Yo, Insane. Hold, hold, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Think about this. You have Trey Songs as the opener, Lil Wayne as support. Yeah. And Jeezy as the main act. Done. That's literally Thug Motivation 101. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, we went into concert promo, and that was our biggest concert. And I believe we lost a lot of money. (laughs) 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 And that's when we're like, okay, well, maybe we shouldn't invest so much in concert promo. (laughs) The learning lessons. Learning lessons. (laughs) Um, so after that, I, we were still promoting, well, I was still promoting in, in the 21 and overnight life scene and I stayed here in LA, Brian, his stage name is actually DJ BAD. He, um, it all, it all comes together. Yes. It all comes together for you now. (laughs) Yeah, it really does. (laughs) It really does. So 2006 that's when he was like, you know, I think I want to try to get into DJing. And I stepped in as his manager. Anthony ended up moving to New York to be a talent agent. Wow. And so he was a booking agent out there for two, more or less two years. Okay. And I think Anthony would be best to share the story of how he ended up meeting Nas. And how... That's that Def Jam life, No. No, um, Anthony was working for, I think, American Talent Agency. Wow. And he was booking shows for Nas and traveling with him. And something happened, and Anthony came back and said, hey, I manage Nas. Wow. You know what's wild about this is that the stories that I've heard are different. Really? And it's, and it's, no, but it, and it's crazy. It's beautiful to see, like... Naturally, like when you just in the culture, you hear so many iterations mm-hmm. of people's iterations of how things happen. Mm-hmm. But then you get up close and it's like, wait, whoa, really? It's incredible. Like it, 
it, it's actually really wild to me to think about this group. Shout out to the dynasty because what y'all had was really a future dynasty. Thank you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And in which now we can imagine (laughs) with an E. Imagine the possibilities. Off top. With an E. I'm throwing the E's out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But that's how it starts. Yeah. Like you guys were in nightlife. Like you, (laughs) the the, the, the tomboy extraordinaire going into the, just like the creative spirit going into just like the uh, school president, like all of the to party promoting and then the the deuces to college i want to ask you like when when you gave the deuces to college was that something that was kind of you had to struggle with or was it something to the point of you're like look that's cool i just need to explore these other things yeah i felt like because right like nowadays, like you, you always hear like just finish school yeah. and do all that, and you have parents in, in the mix of like this world of academia has kind of come to us of like get your degree and start off on the right footing, right? Right? Why explore the creative path or why explore this, that, and the other? Which our parents, God bless them, don't understand. The, the the flux and the chaos of that. It's not a doctor. It's not a lawyer. It's not an independent, stable, we know what no, we're it's getting. it's very unsafe for them. It's uncertainty. Mm-hmm. It's chaos. Absolutely. It's, it's very few really make it. Yeah. Very, very few very really few. have the drive, aspiration, ambition, and the moments, the strikes of, uh, 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 the strikes that really like, put us into play there Mm -hmm. because all of these things are so uncertain like did you struggle with that decision or was it kind of like you know what like i'm living my life this is what it is right now and let's just make this move i think the only struggle that i had with that decision was disappointing my mother Mm. because as we all as we all have Yeah. yeah so she you know she's she's filipino she came from structure or the idea that you're supposed to go to school you go to college you get your degree and you get your job in whatever you studied yeah and school it wasn't college wasn't for me um i felt like i was learning much more through experience because you were in the trenches yeah you you were immersed in it Mm -hmm. and at at that time did you ever have like a clear idea what it is you wanted to actually do or you just felt this is all going, I'm riding this momentum. These opportunities are happening organically. And was it just like a gut feeling that you had to stay in that? It was a gut feeling that mm. I had to stay in it. I was curious. You said you, earlier, you stay curious. I stay, I stay curious. You better believe I wanted that. to know like what was going to become of this. And it's, it's happening mm. for a reason. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, first of all, I had to pay for college, like, out of my own pocket. Yep. Like, I'm, because I didn't qualify for financial aid. So, I'm like, I'm spending all of this money, yet there's this experience over here that's free. I'm really not learning much from school. I mean, I'm just reading books in college. Yeah. Professors are teaching straight out of the book. Yeah. But I was learning so much more going through these experiences, like really actually living in them. And they were speaking to you. Yeah. I want to ask you a question. Knowing how bombastic that Dynasty Entertainment team really was, Mm -hmm. right? 
How important, and, and you also being somebody that realized the value and the importance of the team and the players within them. Mm -hmm. Like, understanding who this squadron became, mm -hmm. you realized you had a really gully team, yeah. right? Was that something that you knew early on? And what was the importance of that in that the foundational group were made up of these players? Because that plays a really critical role. No? Yeah. I think the fact that we had all known each other for so long, like Dennis and Brian went to school together. I went to school with Steve and Gabe and Anthony didn't go to school together, but they're the same age. In fact, they're like two days apart Wow. as far as um, their birthdays. And so they were real close growing up. We were a family and mm. super tight-knit mm -hmm. before Imagine even started. So Anthony was the main one with the vision. And we we're like, when we all believed in it. And we were all... He's a he, he is a very charismatic leader. He is. We all believed in it. We all worked hard and like whatever it took to get whatever task we had to do done. Mm. Like... We all had the same work ethic and attitude and just wanting the team to grow. Yeah. How much easier was it for you? Or like how much more enjoyment did you get out of knowing that you had a team of people around you oh, that shared the same vision? It made everything so much easier. Mm -hmm. Just the fact that, you know, I'll, and I'm the only female in the group. Yeah. So knowing that I had these brothers who was willing to grow with me and willing to teach me and willing to help and support me and just made sure I was good. You know, just that family dynamic that we yeah. had and everyone having the same common goal for the group. Absolutely. Like that was key. And, and when you have something to believe in, like the motivation that comes from that is so strong and so inspiring. Yeah. In that moment, I mean, to think, for anyone to think that they dropped out of, like, I'm leaving college for this, that's a huge, huge, heavy-weighted decision. Yeah. But if you have something strong enough to believe in, it doesn't necessarily feel that heavy. It just feels correct. It right. feels right. Right. And going with that, I think there comes a level of, like, inspiration that happens among a team. How did they, your team, inspire you, and how do you fit in to inspire everyone around you? Because that's how a team genuinely Absolutely. works together. Mm -hmm. Everyone inspires each other. Mm -hmm. So dive into a little bit about that that kind of dynamic. That, yeah, that kind of intangible thing that that leads to this level of greatness that everyone contributes to in their own way. Anthony was the leader of our ship. And if you've ever had the pleasure of meeting him or working with him or just interacting with him, yeah. period, you could feel his energy, his excitement about everything he works with or Absolutely. everything that he's passionate about. He's an amazing leader and a great teacher. And I don't ha have a conversation with Anthony and you'll immediately feel the same excitement that he feels. I felt that way. Literally, you have a conversation with Anthony, <laughs> you'll start seeing how, if your smile can match up with how big his smile is. But For real. And what's interesting too is this is coming from you. Yeah. As a, yeah. As a leader. 
And how did you fit into that? I fit into that because I was the team player. Mm. Like, whatever we got to do, all right, let's get it done. Whatever it takes. Dennis instilled the whatever it takes to get it done. Absolutely. Um, At all costs. Yeah. Like, Dennis instilled that in me. You know, Les, whatever it takes, we we just, it just has to get done. So, do whatever we got to do to get it done. Um, And with me just having a crazy work ethic, like, I am a stickler with my work. Like, things have to get, if something has to get done, most of the time I want to do it myself. That way I know it's going to get done and and it's going to get done right. Yeah. Um, And with everyone else on the team, we were all willing to learn together. It was How never... important? I, I want to I touch on that. How important is that to you to be able to have an atmosphere where learning and going through the, 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 the growth curves is? Because like naturally, like we just think things have to fire on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. But in order to really grow, we have to make mistakes right. and learn from our experiences. How important is that environment of being able to freely learn and just be there for each other, wish for the biggest and the greatest possible, but understand current limitations and want to push past them. How important is that? Like, do you feel like that was for y'all's growth? It made working easy. It didn't seem like work. Let me take that back. It was work. In the yeah, beginning, no. in the beginning it was work. We were all young. We are in our early 20s, early and mid-20s, kind of diving into the music industry. Yeah. With no real prior experience to music, entertain. well, a little bit of experience, like working in a promo scene, but like specifically in the music industry, none. And everyone else who works in the industry is older, like 30 to 40-year-old execs. And here are these young 20-somethings working with this icon. Like, how did that happen? So let me... Okay, so now that we're we're getting to the icon, right? And real quick, though, too... Get real quick with it. And the music industry is the wild, wild west. The wild, wild west. And I think because of that, it allows this opportunity of something like this to happen. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it's not standard. Anything can really happen. You're in an environment where some kids in their 20s can really, really do something powerful. They can shake it all up. And you guys had this synergy, this dynamic that was being that, that was penetrating that in an environment and in an industry that allows that, that actually thrives off that. Was that, was that the real start of the transition from dynasty to imagine yeah Mm. yeah i want to kind of go into the depths of it in terms of like look so anthony picks up nas he's a young at that time he's a young young cat no like 21 22 right so when you think about it nas is already a legend in 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 his craft you have uh, a flavor of anthony that that look i'll tell you like you know it far closer and and you have such a, a a far higher level of touch to it but from somebody looking outside at anthony Saleh, i truly see somebody that when he locks into a vision not only does he sell that vision to the team and said artist right but he also has the conviction 
to put all the pieces in place to make this come to life. So like the way that I think about it externally is like there's just like an energy of let's go. We got this. Let's push beyond. Let's buzz light year this Mm because this is a toy story. Like, mm-hmm. we're Buzz Lightyear to infinity mm-hmm. and beyond, beyond. <laughs> and everybody's with it, mm-hmm. right? When when that happened and the inner working of Imagine happened, I kind of want to dive into you guys being so young, the future being so unknown and uncertain, but the belief being so, like, intrinsically felt what was that like for you guys in creating Imagine? And how was it for a bunch of kids, basically, young adults, going into a world and just figuring it out? Because naturally, we have this idea of like when we're creating entities, we have roles established and what's this and who are your advisors and all that. Mm-hmm. Or there's so many times where something great comes out of just youthful energy wanting to do something bigger than themselves yeah. and it working themselves out. Yeah. Right? That's there's what it a, was there, for us. There's a balance between working themselves out and trying to figure it out or just thinking about it from the standpoint of like, it just happened. Right? Mm-hmm. What was that energy like for you guys and what was what was the 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 atmosphere in the beginning to where you guys were really working it out because there's so much uncertainty in what is to come mm-hmm. but i feel like the belief in and of itself that something can happen is really what drives that mm-hmm. right and i want to kind of shed light on from somebody that experienced something that's grown into magnificence as we see today Right. How was that like for y'all's young group of just green young adults that knew that they can give so much and do whatever their minds put themselves to under the guise of a very charismatic leader? Mm-hmm. Right. How like how was that? How did all this come into play? Like what was what were some of the inner workings into the, the growth and what were some of the struggles that you guys faced early on in developing that? Because nobody knows what the hell a company is to to build it out. But you guys were just a group of of starry-eyed young adults that wanted to do something big. Like, how how was the formation of that for you into Imagine? For me, it was... I just dropped out of college. Mm. I don't have my degree. No backup. So if I don't kill it, if I don't kill this, what's my plan B? And back then, I didn't have a plan B. So for myself, like, got to make this work. Absolutely. Did you have, have that talk? To make this you had work. that talk with yourself? Absolutely. Like, if I, there was no plan B. It was, you know, imagine we gotta gotta make this happen. Yeah, we either make it or we don't. Yeah. And I'm not a fan of failure. Especially in my own life. Were you afraid of it? Was I afraid of it? Mm, I can't say that I didn't have moments of okay. being afraid or fear or having some kind of fear. Yeah. But there were definitely failures 
and obstacles and learning experiences. But, you know, I just had to learn from it and keep moving. Yeah. Because, Les, you still don't have a plan B. So imagine it has to work. It has to. It has to. Did you guys have a moment where you struggled through that initial period of, like, making something that was just an idea become real? Fortunately, no. No. It just was organically just growing and it happening. Was just, yeah, you guys it was just were in organically this tornado of happening. Ride this wave. Yeah. It was organically just happening and growing. And sometimes I felt like, I think we've had moments where, like, okay, we're going too fast. Because, you, know, <laughs> you know, what's interesting is sometimes with these dynamics is like when you have that opportunity, and you touched on it too when we were, we were talking earlier, like, you have to be prepared. Yeah. For the opportunity in order for it to take off, right? So, and that preparedness can be anything from your work ethic to your commitment to being responsible to what you sacrifice to how you're going to choose to live your life to even survive this so it can take off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes we have great ideas and these great opportunities happen, but there's also the reality of, you have to survive that little bit of time. And when I say survive, I mean like pay bills, pay your rent, right. eat, do like the basic human functions so uh, long enough so you can reap the benefits of this great opportunity. Absolutely. And all that preparedness doesn't just mean like, I'm a hard worker, so I'm going to make this work. It's like... I stayed persistent. We were strong. We persevered. And because like, I was student, life, life is happening. Yeah. Right. I was class president once. I'll do it again. <laughs> it's never like that. It's yeah. never really like that. Sometimes it's doing whatever you absolutely have to to survive long enough to see the benefits of this magnificent opportunity. Absolutely. And did you go through that? And if so, like, what, were the, what was that little beautiful time like? Because it, be, it can be gorgeous, you know? Even those little, like, tough moments where you're like, I know it's coming. Like, looking, I know it's coming. Right. Looking back and having $5 in your pocket, and that's it. Mm-hmm. When you being can, like, I need to survive for a week off this. Wait, what? And also battling, like, I know it's coming, but I can also, I also know I can get this job over here where it's coming for sure. Because mm-hmm. the I know it's coming is kind of like, maybe it's coming? Yeah. You know, so how, take us through, like, it's a huge risk for you at this time. How did you go through that little, like, navigate those waters of excitement, but survival, mm-hmm. opportunity, being prepared, you know, sacrifice, all those things that kind of come into play. I started my first job. I was 15. I worked at a, tux, a tuxedo rental shop called Gary's Tuxedo. Yeah. Getting the prom hookup? Getting the prom hookup. Oh, for real. And you know... Give me the cummerbund discount, please. <laughs> yeah. So Gary's Tuxedos, because I was a high school promoter, it ended up being the place where you could get your prom tuxedo and get your tickets for the after prom. And that oh, was well, I feel that. <laughs> she was like, look, you're going to get this. Look, well, I, it, if you're going to be this fly, you may as well show you, up. You might as well come to after prom, too. $25 a ticket. Ooh. Ooh. And they're buying them because two 12 parties were the parties to go to. Look, family, you're getting the croissants, you're getting the boutonniere, <laughs> and then you're getting the after party. We got you on the tux. <laughs> you look fly. Let's get it popping. 
<laughs> so that was my first job. Incredible. And I worked in retail for years after that, like from like 15 to about 22. Got you. Worked in retail. Um, Gary's Tuxedos. I worked at Express. I worked at Things Remembered, engraving gifts oh, wow. for people. And then I ended up at Sam Goody, the music store. What, which one? In the South Bay Galleria. Oh, okay, okay. Sam Goody was great. Sam Goody was lit. <laughs> I miss Sam Goody. So I worked at Sam Goody. I was 22, um, still in college, but like struggling with the thoughts of whether or not I wanted to stay in it. And then I felt like I don't want to be... And I was still promoting college parties. And I got to that point where I thought... Okay, I don't want to be the 20-something who still works at the mall. Mm. And so I left that job at Sam Goody with no plan, no like, no backup, no job yeah. lined up for me. No plan to pay bills. None at all. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I quit my job and then I started to look on Craigslist for administrative assistant jobs. Mm-hmm to work at an office. The first job I landed was a temp position at this advertising and marketing agency called Macy and Associates in Cover City. And it was cool, but I don't know. I think the atmosphere was different. Like everyone who worked there was older. Mm-hmm. And I was like 22 at the time. So after that temp job ended, I ended up working, oh, I ended up getting another job as a marketing coordinator at a health clinic called Her Smart Choice. And I worked there for about like seven or eight months. Mm-hmm. The thing about this clinic was um, it was actually an abortion clinic. Oh, wow. So it was like an exercise for me to figure out how to market abortions. Yeah. It was a little... It was weird and, and different at the same time. Yeah. But um, I think it, it was that job that made me not like going into an office mm-hmm. and have and working with someone who just like stayed behind my back making sure I was working or mm-hmm. making sure I was clocking in and out, taking my lunches on time. And like I didn't like the experience or that experience of working in an office. Mm-hmm. So after I left that job, I was... That's when I'm, I started doing a little bit of work with Anthony as far as scheduling and managing Anthony and Anthony's calendar as well as working on a, a couple things with Nas. And after my after I left her Smart Choice clinic, I started doing little tasks for Anthony. Mm-hmm. So this was in like September 2007. I started doing like little tasks for Anthony, scheduling, booking reservations, making travel itineraries. And then in 2008, Anthony made me the first paid employee with Imagine. Mm. And so I think that's when the journey kind of begins with Imagine, when I became that first paid employee. And I remember my first check was, I think I was making $600 a month. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? (laughs) You know, I'm always so fascinated about this because... When people chase after something, the part that gets often left out are those jobs in between that you have to take. Like, you're not aspiring to market abortions. Right. 
<laughs> or work as Sam Goody. Like these aren't things you're setting out to do, but they're paying your bills and surviving. And surviving right. is such a huge part of this, you know, and you have to kind of drop your ego or whatever you have in your mind, like that you think you are. Maybe you know you're overqualified. Maybe you know your potential extends way greater than what you're doing right now. But in life, life doesn't matter. Like, look at those things and say, okay, well, since you were had all these accomplishments in high school, you automatically get all this. Yeah. Life says, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And life says, I don't even know you. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do about it? And these are the things you have to do so when that opportunity comes where you can become that first paid employee with Imagine, you are already doing all these things to keep you alive so you can get that opportunity. Yeah. And I think when you mentioned staying prepared, part of that preparedness is living through it so you can even be in the room to get the opportunity. And I, I just I love to shine on those moments because they're they're so practical and they're so real and they're even part of the sacrifice you have to make. Yeah. And when you're making $600 a month doing what you really want to be doing with someone who you really want to be doing that, that's a salary of a lifetime. Yeah. Like I I made decent money at that health clinic, but I didn't like what I was doing. Yeah. But sometimes we have to do what we don't like to be able to set the foundation of aspiring to do what we do like. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people, especially in past that are creative and unknown and uncertain, have this kind of toggle between I want to live my dreams, but what do you do when your dreams can't give you the foundation to really be able to live? Right. Mm-hmm. Like we all have responsibilities like this is this is the real world. Right. Like we all need to pay our bills. We all need to have a, 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 a roof over our head. Mm-hmm. We all need to be able to eat. And in the beginnings of things that are very special, as much as we may all believe in the possibility, like there are still things that need to be done for our own stability that make us really need to compartmentalize the dream aspect of it and what we need to do to get there as well as, okay, my dreams and my path to them are not providing me the basic foundational elements of living a life, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever it looks like, cool. But as you said, you need to get it done at whatever cost, mm-hmm. right? And those costs need to be taken into consideration mm-hmm. because it's not all glamorous. It's not. Like looking, <laughs> no. lo- it's looking not. from the outside in. It's really like not. people probably looked at you and were like, "Yo, Big Les is in the, the, the party <laughs> scene. She's doing this, that." Like her, Anthony, Gabe, everybody or starting to like work with Nas now and starting to like really build this vision but it's not sexy to have these side jobs yeah right but it's a necessity right to have these side jobs it's a necessity to have these things in our lives 
that allow us to stay afloat. That's not taking away from the aspiration. That's actually giving the foundation way more substance and sustenance in being able to do what you want to do. And I feel like for the youth and the culture, that's something that always is one of those like fork in the road moments. Mm -hmm. Because when you look at this journey, it's, it's one that externally, it's all sexy. Like you're only seeing wins. You're only putting out the, 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 the portions that like you're building to. But rarely does anybody see the, I had to work at McDonald's for, for God knows how long, or I had to do this day job while doing this other job and while making sure that like, we had nothing to give ourselves, so we need to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Like, those are things that are realities in this journey of ours. You know what I'm saying? And it's very special to hear and to see that that balance is constantly sought after, mm-hmm. right? That balance is constantly thought about. Like, right, when our parents think about how are you going to be independent? How are you going to survive? You have this dream. But in order to support this dream, there are things that we need to do as people to be able to live. Did did you ever struggle with the fact that you knew what you wanted to do, but there were also things that you had to do to make it even a possibility to continue doing? Like, were there those moments where you're like, man, I like, how can I continue doing this? Like, what was that like? crossroads for you in being in needing to do something to support yourself but at the same time doing everything you possibly could to realize those dreams that you yourself and your whole team had because that's that's a fight within oneself that's that's a constant struggle Mm -hmm. how was that for you and how did you find yourself not only justifying it but like pushing through those moments to be able to get to that point. I definitely had moments in the beginning. Like mm. my, I try to imagine my job was at a medical clinic and I, which I made good money. And then I get my first check with imagine it and it's $600 and it was $600 a month for a while. And that's a grocery check. Okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And luckily, I live at home. Mm. So I don't have rent or utilities to pay. So my expenses has always been low. But I did have my moments where, you know, I need a job. Mm. Like, what we're doing is cool. And and the vanity of it is cool. Yeah. But I got to make more money. Mm -hmm. Was that something that you openly discussed with your team? Like, was that a conversation that all of y'all had? Or was it something of, okay, we're building this, but me, myself, I need to figure something out? I don't think it's a conversation that we've all had as a group. Okay. I feel like I may have had this conversation with Anthony and him asking me to, you know, just believe with him and push through. Mm -hmm. And that there would be a payoff. Eventually. Yeah. So I don't, I, I don't think I ever, I had side jobs with Imagine. Like I just lived off of what I got. Okay. And I kept believing with the group, kept mm. pushing through, kept working. 
I really believe that we were on to something. Yeah. Like, this artist just doesn't fall onto our lap. Not at all. Just because. Just for us to work with him for a little bit, make our little bit of money, and then, all right, guys, uh, back to the drawing board, or now what? I always believe that, okay, this is going to turn into something bigger. Like, this is going to grow. So, you know, I, I went with those $600 checks, and eventually the checks did grow. What was that like for you? And I want to speak to, like, you in particular in mm-hmm. this whole growth and this whole journey. What was that like for you having, you know, like, th- there's one thing where friends get together and have that moment just like you and DJ BAD, mm-hmm. right? We're like, okay, like we're building to something and that naturally stays, mm-hmm. right? But then there's a scenario where Anthony brings on Nas. What's, what's that like for you in terms of knowing that you're working for a legend, knowing that you guys are building on something that you just know is going to be special, mm-hmm. right? The energy in the air is there, right? Like, how is that operating you're naturally building but what's the energy and the vibe like for you guys in building all of these things surrounding such a staple artist right it's only a matter of time but you have somebody giving such a young team full of youthful energy all of their trust Right. So naturally you have life and balancing your life out, but then you also have, okay, what can we really start doing? How was that energy? Like, what were the thoughts going through your head? And were there ever any doubts of like, man, am I good enough to do this? Or man, is this really going to start paying off? How was just that whole energy in the building blocks of this? My energy in the very beginning, I think I operated out of fear, Mm. fear of messing up, fear of not doing my job right, getting fired and like working in management, like someone else's career is in your hands. So imagine there's the pressure of that alone. Absolutely. And this isn't just any, this isn't just like we're building for you. Yeah. This is, you've been a staple. Now it's a rebirth of sorts. Right. Or how to add on or keep up what you've already built. Like, yeah. I absolutely operated out of fear of messing up and not <laughs> wanting to mess up. Um, in 2009, we picked up another artist, an R&B artist, and I was his day-to-day manager. Okay. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. And I, after that artist, I felt like, it didn't work out because it was me. Wow. Like, I didn't do my job well enough. I wasn't attentive to him as I should have been. Like, I, I was hard on myself mm. because that relationship didn't work out. And so after that artist had left our roster, I was assigned to work more hands-on with Nas. And because of that experience, the first experience with that artist, that's what made me be on my P's and Q's. You think that helped you? It it definitely helped me. I was on top of, I stayed on top of everything when it came to Nas. And I think experiencing that 
what I thought was failure to me, yeah. experiencing that is what made me want to be so much better. Mm. For now, you have to go through that to know what better even is. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Like it's one of those things where it's just like, how can you know what the top is without experiencing the bottom, the yeah. mid level, mm-hmm. the, the the echelon of a peak, right? And also right. using your failure to grow. Yeah. And not to just say I'm not cut out for this. I failed, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fail again. So forget it. Yeah. I'm not doing this anymore. But you, it's it's what you choose to do with that failure. Right. You can either say this isn't for me. I'm not. Even more fear instills. Say I'm not doing it, or I'm really making sure that never happens again. I was definitely with that. I. My thoughts were always like, okay, that can't ever happen to me again. Mm. And the cool thing about that is that a year later, I got validation from that first artist. He and I saw each other. We stopped, talked one-on-one. He was like, yo, when we split up, it was never, it was, you never did anything wrong. Wow. He gave me that validation. He was like, it was, you know, How'd that feel for you? It was a relief. That's like vindication. Like I, for a year, yeah. I thought, like, I'm a horrible manager. <laughs> what am I doing? Wow. I'm failing at my plan A, and I don't have a plan B. And I apparently I do a bad job at it. If I lost an artist, I really thought it was me. Oof. And just to get that validation, like, no, it wasn't you. You know, other things were going on. It just wasn't right, but it was never you. Like, such a relief. And... These are things that just had to happen. I had to feel like a failure to be amazing for Nas. Mm-hmm. And then f- because look at how the universe is working, because I felt so bad about me failing, the artist comes, the other artist comes back and tells me like, no, it wasn't you. You're good. Like, look at the universe just telling me. Absolutely. Keep doing you. You're actually doing a good job. Keep working. Absolutely. Keep learning. Keep wanting to work harder. You never know what it is until it becomes what it is. Right. Right. How how, how was that for you dynamic-wise? In So after that happens, you go into a scenario where in your mind you felt you lost an artist. Yeah. Right? In your mind, at the end of the day, losing anything, you start thinking about what do I need to do to never feel that again, mm-hmm. right? And that kind of catapulted you into like, okay, whether whether it was seen from X person or in yourself, you naturally intrinsically take it all in and say, okay, I'm going to do this different, that different, the yeah. other different. Then you have an artist like Anaz come in, right? And you're already on that, okay, this all of this happened. Now I'm just going to be, yep, 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 just super on it. Yeah. Right. How was that like for you working with your team and with Nas? Like, were you ever like, was fear still driving you then? Or was it more so of like, or when did it reach the point where it was like, okay, let's take Nas out of it and it's Nasir. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm working for my client. And no matter how the world views them, I have a responsibility to do my gig and this is Leslie Rosales putting forth her strengths and building on this as opposed to how lucky am I? Because mm. at the end of the day, there comes a point where, look, management, and correct me if I'm wrong, is glorified babysitting. 
Like you literally no, but you literally you literally need to you don't need to say I will. You literally need to be there and be attentive and also find the strength within yourself to put your foot down and also the empathy within yourself to be able to listen to it all. And it's one of those scenarios where if you're going to be a manager, believe that you have your life. You better have a damn hold on that, right? But your job, what your income is coming from, is making sure that the life of X person is functioning at an optimum level every single second of the day. Right. And you not only have to balance your life and your happiness, which for some it gets really intermingled, right? Right. A lot of people like get down this path where if they're not looking at themselves as a particle of something bigger, they become immersed in my foundation belongs to how good somebody else is feeling. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a constant crux of a manager mm -hmm. in that. Are you getting lost in the sauce of that? Is that 20%, 15% or is your, is what your position is your life or do you have your life and are able to compartmentalize the multitude of your duties, right? What was that like for you? Did you ever like really think about that balance of like, okay, this is my responsibility, this is my job, but this is also who I want to be as a person. And finding that mix of how do I not only maximize my being and my strengths, mm -hmm. but also maximize my role and my function. How did you find the confidence with yourself to just know that you were doing a good job? Because going through that moment with the first artist, I was on it with Nas. Always keeping in the back of my head, like, okay, Nas, this is your job. Um, there's still no plan B, so you're, you still got to be on it. Yeah. I... I did this to myself on purpose. I became so engulfed with work that I didn't even have a personal life. Mm -hmm. I started traveling heavily with him like around 2011, 2012. And I would put my friends and family and myself on a back burner. Wow. Just to make sure I was doing my job. Just to make sure that the artist was good. And I did that to myself for years. And... I'm not at all going to say that I have regrets about it because I've loved and learned so much just from the experience, Absolutely. from traveling, from just being in the depths of the music industry and just working with Nas and traveling with him have absolutely no regrets about it. But I definitely did that to myself. Like I was single for, I didn't have a boyfriend for 10 years. Wow. I was single for 10 years Wild. and that was because all I wanted to do was work because I didn't want to fail because I had no plan B. So I got to do what I got to do to keep getting this check. Naturally, look, if you're going to be in any management capacity, you better be willing to put your life in the backseat. Yeah. Right. Knowing that you're seeing out of the, the, the window and you're able to navigate somebody else's life. But as with every choice and as with every decision that we make, it comes at a cost. Mm 
What was that feeling for you in knowing that you're making a willing sacrifice? I, I've had moments where, like, I would miss my best friend's birthday or mm. I would miss a friend's graduation or I would miss a family event because I was traveling or I'm in town, but I can't go because I have to be somewhere else with this person. I definitely have, like, my share of those moments. But I, I, ha- I had a clear understanding <coughs> with myself that I had to. Like, I have to do this. It's my job. You owned it. I owned, I most definitely owned yeah. it. So from like when I was traveling heavy with them from about 2011 to 2013, like that's all I was focused on. Work, 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 work. Shout out to Rihanna. Yeah. Um, that's all I did. Um, anything outside of work, I really wasn't into it. And then in two, like mid-2013, I'm like, there has to be, I have to do something for me. Like, mm. I have to start getting involved in other things. I think, so travel started to get a little lighter in 2013 because Life is Good came out in 2012. Mm. So, so there was a lot of work between 2011 to 2012. And even towards the, the album came out, mid-2012, so of course there was a lot of work after that with touring, and then in mid-2013, it started to get a little light, so I had a lot of time here in L.A., Mm. and so... And and during this time, you're in New York? I mean, I'm here in L.A. Okay, but you're traveling back and forth, and just you're all around, so not really like, your home base is L.A., but you're doing so much travel that it's a, you still can't really get your bearings. Right. So home base was L.A., but I felt like I didn't have a life mm-hmm. in L.A. And so That's crazy. in 2013. What was that like? To be to come home and like not know what's going on. And, oh, my friends have their are doing other things now. And like you I have guess, so many things you have to like account for <laughs> and be responsible yeah. for. And like you're doing your work stuff and then you got to call your best friend and be like, I'm here I love you, have fun, but I'm on call. Yeah. Or I have to be here with said artist yeah. because I'm chilling in the green room and I got to be there with them. Like, what's that? what was that like for you as a being? Because this is one of the biggest things that I feel like is explored amongst those of our path and our craft, right? Is that when you really start to like understand and try and find the groove of happiness, you have to be able to separate work from your worth Mm -hmm. especially in this type of immersive game get caught up in their self-worth as being solely their work Mm -hmm. and then they start to lose their being and aspirations and thoughts of what they want for themselves for the greater good of others was that a tough balance for you in being like I have to dedicate so much of my life to my work that I'm missing these moments with those around me? Or was it more of a matter of fact, this is what I got to do? Like, what were those kind of thoughts that you had? Luckily, I loved what I did. Mm. So there was never a thought of, damn, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to go here. I don't want to go there. Got it. However, the thought that I did start to get in 2013 was, all right, I'm working with somebody dope. I have a cool team. 
I'm traveling. We just got nominated for a Grammy. We didn't win, but it's okay. Yeah. What now? There has to be, what more can I do? Because I feel like I'm doing good in, within, my, within my career. Let me start getting into something else. And so in 2013, uh, or was it 2014? Wait, let me think. 2013, AJ hit me up and said, hey, come to the parlor this last Sunday of the month. I'm doing this little thing called hashtag lunch bag. Oof, AJ Rolan, what a <laughs> doodle, baby. <laughs> That's a big bro. Yeah. For real. So he sends me a text. In fact, I've seen him host these events yeah. like earlier in the year, but I was probably traveling and I couldn't make it out. So I think it was Memorial Day weekend. And that was like within the first year of it. Yeah, that was the first like year. I think like it was event five or six in yeah, LA. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he invited me to come. And I was in town, so I put it on my schedule to come. I came 30 minutes late, too. Like, the event started at 10 a.m. I yeah. got there, like, at 10, maybe 10.30, 10.45. And I walk in, and I'm like, there's so many people here. Like, I don't even know. I know we make, I know they make lunches, but, like, what, where do I, where can I jump in mm. in all of this? Absolutely. So I think I went into one room where they were making sandwiches and I the helped sandwich a station. Yeah, the sandwich station. And I helped a little helped out a little bit there. Yeah. But it was too packed. So I said, okay, well let me go to this other to the creative area where they Are they're writing the note, these notes love area? notes. Yep. So I walk over there and I kind of look around to see what it like what everyone else is writing. And then I started to write some. Mm. And then I went to the bagging station where everything kind of comes together. And yeah, and yeah, so the event went on and toward at the end of the event at the parlor, AJ mentioned that they were taking these lunches to Skid Row. And I, I remember I was asked, are you free? Do you have room in your car? Well, yeah, I came alone. I drive a truck. Yeah, just put a bunch of lunches in my car and I'll follow you guys. We drive down to downtown LA. We stop in Skid Row and we pass out lunches. And I think that was the moment where I'm like, wow. Wow. For real, though. Because, like, while you're in the event, you're, you're making a lunch and you're writing these notes and you're putting these lunches together. And you're like, okay, cool, I'm doing a good deed. In fact, I went into the event thinking, all right, I'm going to just do this little charity thing and do something good. This will be my deed for the yeah. year. Or <laughs> and lightweight, they yeah. make, no, but they make doing something good feel so fun. Cool yeah. and fun, right? Yeah. It's like a community. Yeah. And literally, hashtag lunch bag is a tribe that, that, that they formed. And it's, it's evident and it's blossomed into what it is because of who is at the helms of them. Mm -hmm. Like all of the people a part of it. Like when you see all of their energies come together, like you're literally at different stations. You're switching stations every like 15, 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. So you get a real vibe of every compartment into your contribution. Well, and when you think of charity generally, I think normally you're like, I have to do this. Like you're more obligated to help out on Thanksgiving or it's mm -hmm. just like community service, something like you feel, all right, I'm, like you just said, I'm going to go do this, my yeah. charity for the year. But when it can have 
that impact on you, it becomes something much different. Yeah. So it was actually when I was actually in the event at the parlor, I'm like, okay, all this is cool. But I really didn't feel the effects of it till I handed someone who needed a lunch, Mm. a lunch. I felt like, okay, I'm doing, this isn't even about me anymore. It's about, you know, it's no longer about me just showing up and supporting my friend. Mm. Who invited me to this event? Yeah. Now it's about okay, I'm helping someone who who needs help, and then it was then I realized okay, I want to do this again. Mm. But I kind of took it to the next level as far as wanting to do it again. Okay. I did it again in in Atlanta the next month. What made you want to do that? Like I I feel you to the maximum because when you go out there. There's one thing to be able to create the lunches and write the notes and be amongst your peers Mm -hmm. and feel like you guys are all a community of doing good. Yeah. Right. There's another thing in actually driving out to the areas of need where the actual touch points are and being like having conversations with people as you're giving them foods or as you're giving them like at the end of the day do you know you know what's crazy like food is to me is just like and i can't even think of the word but like food is like the baseline of 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 what you're getting right but what you're really giving and receiving is human interaction yeah Mm -hmm. human connection yeah absolutely and you know with me with work traveling and you know being around the same group even though i I love my brothers like traveling with the same group and not really like losing that connection with my friends and family because I'm working so much. Mm-hmm. Like I needed that human connection. Absolutely, yeah. it works both because ways. Because I I had become disconnected because I was so engulfed with work. You're so right, I though. became so disconnected just from regular from people. Yeah. So it was the that moment of sharing that moment with someone. Doing something good for someone and not expecting anything in return. Yeah. Just doing something good because I wanted to do something. It's good. literally living through giving. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. And, and you know, one of the wildest things for me is because, like, I, I was fortunate to have AJ bring me along in that, in that road as well. Um, and it's, it, it, it's so beautiful to me because, you know what's wild? Like, as I was going through the hashtag lunch bag phase, like, I was literally, like, dipping and diving into the darkest points of my life, mm-hmm. right? So I'd be getting up, driving the hashtag lunch bag, having an expired registration for two years, like maxing out my credit cards, figuring out what I'm trying to do in this in this music game, but like also knowing that I felt a part of something from my big brothers, mm-hmm. right? And then, like you said, like going out into, like, look, you and I are both very curious human beings, right? And I'm a super vocal cat when it comes to this. And there's such a beauty in being able to just speak to those that seemingly have no voice right. in this community, right? Like, I'm handing you a lunch. You're, you're reciprocating that, like, appreciation for that lunch. But we're also having a conversation. Yeah, We also get to see what... The underbelly, if you will, of the society is, but also how normal and how human people are, Mm -hmm. right? Like, the underserved aren't any different 
than us. Mm-hmm. Right. Like when you think about the communities of whether it's homeless people or this and that, you start to really wonder like what the source of these things are. Yeah. Right. And then you come into an understanding of like some of these people have mental health and developmental issues. And it just like, you realize like, wow, if this goes untreated or untouched, society just has you out here, right? Sometimes people take a break this way, a break that way, and they're on the street, Mm -hmm. Yeah, That doesn't make them any different, Right. right? And you start to really get an appreciation for humanity because you start to meet people that like, you just connect with the act of giving. I feel like I can speak for us both. It's like when you hand somebody a lunch bag and they truly want it. And then like you just extend that conversation of like, what's your name? Mm-hmm. Like, how are you here? And you yeah. start really getting into that, that vibe. I feel like a lot of people for hashtag when they go out and it, it's wild looking at it from an anthropological point of view. It's mm-hmm. Sometimes you see people just handing them out. Then you see some of the, like the cuddy cats that are, like were on the corner for a bit, like change their identities like within themselves and get a couple lunch bags <laughs> for them. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But the essence of it is is community. Yeah. Right. Like we're all coming together mm-hmm. to serve, right? But one of the gems, like the unspoken gems of that giving, is how much the givers are served. Yeah. Right? Like the givers are served a reality, a dose of reality into life. Mm-hmm. Right? There are so many people that we pass on a daily basis, whether they're asking for some change, for some bus money, or whether that we just see them on the corner. When, when you come and say, would you like some food? Are you hungry? Right? There's a connection made with some somebody that in human realm you look at as an inanimate object. But there's something so profound of being able to connect mm-hmm. with somebody and being able to give them something. Mm-hmm. And it really like I feel like it really piques your purpose. Yeah. Right. Like can you go into just like the emotions that you felt? Because like I'll preface it by saying this. You've been one of the catalysts in taking the essence of that movement, hashtag lunch bag, and wanting to serve your community, right? right? Wanting to say, okay, I know we do this at the parlor, and I know we go to Skid Row, but what I want to do is take it to my old community, right? I feel like there's different areas that can be served. Yeah. And... As you've grown in that like sphere of living through giving, you chose to take ownership. Shout out to the leader in you, right? To build a group doing what you're doing in another area. Yeah. So let's just touch a different community. Yeah. Right. What was that for you? Like what what was your emotional connection with that? And what was it about that experience that wanted you, that made you want to take it and spread the giving? I was inspired by that first event that I went to in LA. So as I mentioned earlier, I was going to, well, I was in Atlanta for work a lot that summer. 
and I had a venue in Atlanta to host an event. So I decided, okay, let's take it down to Atlanta. There's no chapter there. I have a couple of um, old interns who are going to school at Morehouse mm. and at Clark who can help me out, spread the word out in that college scene. Yeah. So, yeah, I just got it going. I reached out to everyone I knew in Atlanta. I said, hey, this is a movement that started in L.A., want to start it up here in Atlanta, come through. And same thing as far as people coming, making sandwiches, making lunches, and they have, in Atlanta, they also have, they don't have a skid row, but they have like two, three blocks that are mainly populated by homeless people. Yeah. So I guess it was the Atlanta skid row. Yeah, absolutely. So hashtag lunch bags purpose and even the feeling that you get from giving to someone like it resonated there you can't describe that feeling you can't like for real like it's something that's like in the depth of your being right you can't so the event went well there like the volunteers wanted to come out again next month and they wanted to tell their friends and tell them to come to the next event so for three months i would fly down to atlanta for work get hashtag get a hashtag lunch bag event going and after the third month i left it to my friends in atlanta to just take it over and it's still going now incredible still going now so after that summer i was back here in la and i would come to the parlor and there a lot of volunteers come out to la and i think that's great or hashtag lunch bag la at the parlor and i think that's great and i remember i think like in september i was leaving I left Skid Row, and I drove home. And so I still live in South Central. I got off the freeway, and there's kind of like a tent city mm. right off the freeway. I didn't have any lunches left. Like, every time I can, if I have change, I'll give it to them. And then, so driving down the street, on my block, there's like another little tent city. I'm like, damn, I ran out of lunches, like... You know, next month I'll save like 10 lunches and I'll give them to the people who are homeless right on my own block. Yeah. And then um, my birthday was coming up the next month and I thought, okay, well, what can I do for my birthday this year? I, ha- I have a party every year. Yeah. What can I do different? Oh, let me ha- let me host hashtag lunch bag for my birthday. Mm. And then I was thinking of where. I'm like, well, hashtag lunch bag LA happens every last Sunday of the month. Doesn't make any sense because it'll be like a week and a half before my actual birthday. Well, why don't I host one in South Central and call it hashtag lunch bag South Central? Mm. And so the what I got, I came up with that idea because I felt like, okay, I'm part of hashtag lunch bag LA. We, you know, we give to the homeless or the needy in Skid Row. I was flying myself down to Atlanta. Yeah. And I was doing hashtag lunch bag out there. Why don't I do something in my own community? Why don't I help the people who who are literally homeless on my block? Wow. Yeah. And so next month, my birthday was the first hashtag lunch bag South Central. Well it was first cause Hashtag Lunchbag South Central, but we ended up renaming it <laughs> to Hashtag Lunchbag Lamert Park. Word. But that's where that stemmed from, me Absolutely. wanting to do something for my immediate community. Yeah. And wh- where, did, where did that come from, like the importance of community to you? The importance of community came from 
just thinking about high school and thinking about the great teachers that that I had the privilege of learning from and and them instilling in me like the importance of mentors and and just paying it forward. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do that. Like I was blessed enough with great people in my life, great opportunities, a good job and I there there I knew that there had to be more to life than what I was doing and so giving back and kind of paying homage to the people who helped me out as mm-hmm. a kid. I wanted to do something for the homeless, the needy, and kids. Yeah, and, and in your own community. And it's crazy that charity kind of reshaped community and brought it back in your life. Yeah, it did. Because, you, you know, you, you live this lifestyle. I mean, you're traveling the world with Nas mm. on one side of things, and now you're coming back and bringing, devoting yourself now to something so grounded as giving food to your immediate community. Mm-hmm. They're kind of on the opposite sides of the spectrum, like in terms of how you can perceive it, but I feel they also come together. Like your feeling of managing this person's career and being by their side and taking care of this in your work and then coming back home and saying, Who is the Leslie now? Who am I? The Leslie Rosales of South Central, who is that person now in redefining yourself? Right. And now that you're giving and being a part of your community, how has that changed the community? I wouldn't say it's changed the community, but it's brought some awareness into the community that there are opportunities available Mm -hmm. in our area to help others and to get involved with, with volunteering and helping the community. Yeah, I mean, awareness is where it started with you. Like, just right. with AJ making that first phone call to you. Right. It's not like, oh, let me just do this one deed of charity and be gone. It's that connection you have and that awareness that you could bring to people is a community within itself, like you were saying. Yeah. Is building the community of givers to give to the actual community who needs it. Yeah. Did that start to change your wants? Like, did that start, like, did, did, did the process of giving, right, mm-hmm. as you're balancing your life in and of itself as well, like, you're still doing your work, you're starting to give, which kind of brings a little more purpose, if you will. Yeah. Right? Did that event and immersion into, like, kind of much more of, like, a giving scenario, and, and at actually adding giving into your life, right? Did that start to change your perspectives? Like, how'd that impact, actually, how'd that impact your views on life as you were growing into it? As I was growing into it with my travel back and forth to Atlanta and even just me traveling, period, actually made me sick. How so? Um, so, okay, so summer 2013, I started to get involved. Well, I was introduced to Hashtag Lunch Bag. Then for three months, I flew back and forth to Atlanta to just kick it off there. October, I had, I started Hashtag Lunch Bag, Lamar Park. And then two weeks after that, I was hospitalized. For what? I had a pulmonary embolism. 
blood clots in my lungs, which wow. formed from traveling so much. No way. Yeah. So I was hospitalized for four days. I was told that I had several blood clots in my lungs. And um, it came from traveling so much, one, to birth control. And one of, one of the side effects of birth control is um, our blood clots in your lungs. So I was hospitalized for four days and I was stuck in an emergency room because the hospital was so packed that they couldn't move me up to a private room. So, I'm, so imagine being in like the ER department for four days. The lights are always on, constant movement of like different you patients. You can't even imagine. Like, wait. I really didn't sleep much. Um, and just, yeah, I really didn't sleep much. But I had a lot of time to think. What was going through your head? Just, I can't believe this is happening. Like, and I'm being told, like, yeah, you can't travel for a while. And I'm like, this is what I do, though. That's what I do. I, I travel for work. What's my purpose? If I'm, if I'm grounded in L.A., like, what, what am I here? What am I doing? What am I going to do next? Like, yeah. first of all, am I okay? Um, hopefully, I don't ha- need to have surgery. Luckily, I didn't. I, after I was discharged from the hospital, I was on medication for six months. I couldn't fly for three months. And I was medicated, I was on blood thinners for about, for six months. And I think it was after I got, I was discharged from the hospital. Two weeks after that was the second Sunday of the month where, where I said that I would host hashtag Munchbag Limerick Park every second Sunday of the month. Yeah. So my crew kind of asked, so hey, are we doing it this month? And I thought to myself, I just got out the hospital. Uh, yeah. Yeah, guys, we'll do it. Wow. So we ended up having, we hosted the event and that day, I don't know why, it was a Sunday in November, like there was no one out in the streets to pass out lunches to. So we had like, I think 200 lunches with no people to give them out to. I, I don't think I was well enough to drive to Skid Row to easily, like, get the lunches out. And I think we ended up finding a church that takes in food. And, like, every, like, at 6 p.m. that day, homeless people come to them to get food. So we, luckily, we found that. And then uh, a friend of mine came to the event, and she gave me a card And it was basically like a get well card. Glad you're doing fine. Just want you to know that you're loved and you're appreciated and keep doing what I'm doing. And nothing that I do goes unnoticed. And I think after reading that card, just after going through what I went through as far as being in the hospital, struggling with the thought of should I have this event? Should I not have this event because I'm still kind of sick? Yeah. Like I decided to do it anyway. Mm. And then reading that card, I think I re- that is when I realized, okay, my purpose is to give. Mm. I'm still alive, so I can keep giving. Wow. I think I, I, had, I went through being hospitalized just to, that was like my, hey, let's slow down a little bit. It's time to refocus on you, clearly. Yeah. But. And this was just the energy of life telling you that. Yeah, the energy of life just telling me that. Um, that's when I realized my purpose. Well, I, f- I feel like 
Okay, my I'm still alive. Because look, you're naturally giving. Like management, you're giving. Yeah. yeah. Right. But there's something different about finding that in terms of like giving from a career standpoint to mm-hmm. receive or giving to underserved and just being able to be like there's something special here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i want to ask you is this where like the art started coming out your expression yep i couldn't i couldn't travel so take it take us through that because here we're going through the layers of big lads i love, <laughs> it. Like, I love it i'm really like it, it's beautiful that we hit the nail on the head here because i was throwing a wild guess out but for real. <laughs> but with this newfound i guess appreciation and and um feeling of elation and giving like how the art start coming about like like i feel like you're revisiting your past uh juvenile exuberance in creating and giving and what these things all mean to you when when you hit a point like that like when life kind of hits you and it's like whoa life is real yeah mm-hmm. like we focus so much on career and hitting deadlines and expectations and hitting benchmarks and our one-year goal, our five-year goal, our 10-year goal. Yeah. But rarely do we think about health. Right. It rarely, always takes a back seat. Rarely do we think about how finite life can be if things are not in order. Yeah. Right? Rarely do we imagine and get to appreciate the bounds of possibility within our life. Like, we want to be able to live this full life Mm-hmm. But what if it's cut short for health reasons? What if it's cut short for an accident, right? We're over here trying to maximize life. But when you get a reality check like that and you have to kind of take a step back, can you kind of take us through what that moment really meant for you in terms of having to slow down? For health reasons. So naturally, it's accepted when it comes to the workplace, mm-hmm. right? Because you've been building with a team that truly cares about you. And if it's a matter of health, it becomes like, okay, we, we need to address this. Yeah. Like, this needs to be taken seriously. Yeah. But within that kind of scare comes a rebirth of sorts. A rebirth of identity. Mm-hmm. A rebirth of aspiration. A rebirth of meaning and understanding mm-hmm. right so can you take us through like what what was going through your mind and also how that affected you knowing that whoa like my lifestyle has attributed to this type of health concern so with that being said and with this being something very serious i may need to start thinking about my choices and my decisions in this life and what is meant for me to do. It's kind of like a reappearance of, Mm -hmm. okay, Les, like you've been doing this. It's been great. But now should we reevaluate what that purpose really is? Right. Yeah. I, I was pretty heartbroken Mm. 
when the doctor told me like yeah you can't you can't fly i'm not sure if if you guys know like what a pulmonary embolism is and I how definitely do not. Can okay you take us through that yeah so a you can get blood clot. So a pulmonary embolism is a blood clot that first starts in your leg. Wow. And it forms when you're still and there's no movement. It usually happens when you're on long flights. Oh. So it forms in your leg and it starts to travel up your body. And then the end point is your lung. Ooh. If it's not dissolved by then, like it can... it. Ends in your lung. Oh, wow. So the clot is just running up. Yeah, it's oh, running up through your wow. body. And oh, it ends up in wow. your lung. And so it disturbs your breathing as far as it hurts to breathe. Or you're sh- you have shortness of breath. Yeah. I had several of them. Oh, my God. So you had these it's li- from... You had these little jump-offs winning cl- the race themselves <laughs> and just being like, all right, we're here. <laughs> yeah, I had several clots. So it's from traveling from being on planes and like usually when i get on a flight i fall asleep before the plane even takes off yeah Yeah. and i by the time i wake up we're already there so imagine like non-stop flights from new york that's like five hours there and about six hours back yeah absolutely and that's me like i'm not moving there's blood the blood isn't really circulating in my legs. So in a seated position. Yeah, a seated position. Seated position. Yeah, so your legs don't get that natural flow. Yeah, and there have been, you know, there've been other people in the music industry. Like Heavy D died from it. Wow. He had wow. a blood cl- right. he had gotten a blood clot in his uh in his leg from a flight that he took from LA to wow, London. Really? So that's an 11 hour flight. Oh my god. And oh, he man. I think he died his story was he died suddenly from it and what's crazy is that that summer i had a flight from la to london and london to new york and new york back to la then i was traveling back and forth to atlanta for hashtag lunch bag so i had i had several clots in my lungs did that really start to play a role in like your psyche and how you thought about these trips yeah and these travels yeah it's these, terrifying these great trips that i'm yeah. taking low-key little bombs are yeah. forming in my lungs like this could be on one that really affects me yeah jeez yeah. So um I remember when I was hospitalized like they were shocked because it normally doesn't they told me it normally doesn't happen to someone under 30. Wow. Like for me to have that many. Mm. And but they had high hopes. They're like usually when someone who has as many as you do like you should be blue in the face like near death. Wow. They were they treated me so fragilely where I I went to Harbor UCLA Medical, which is a county hospital. I like I I've never been hospitalized before or I've never gone to the, an ER before. Yeah. So it's actually a county hospital that's a teaching hospital. Mm. It was the closest ER to me. And I think the out the wait was 4 hours before I got admitted. And then when they realized that I had blood clots, I remember they ran after me with like a wheelchair, an oxygen tank, they're like, don't move, sit down. Wow. They put a mask on me and they took me to the ER, ran a bunch of tests. And um, I called, my mother was with, with me. And I told my mother, call Dennis and Anthony, let them know what's going on. Oh man. So Anthony was trying to get me transferred out of there. He was like, why did you come to a county hospital? Like, you have the best health insurance. Why didn't you go to Cedar sinai Let's get you transferred out of here. 
and get you to see your side. Leave it to Anthony. Yeah. And just be like, no, you need he to go like, to the yeah, plush we'll, scenario. We'll figure it I'm out. Calling, I'm calling the doctors right now. Yeah. You're meeting with Dr. Ibrahim, e- and you're literally going there. He knows you're coming. We're sending a helicopter. You're literally 20 minutes. Away. We're sending a helicopter. I don't care. But the doctors were like, no, she's so bad. Oh, wow. Wow. If they were to transfer me and if the ambulance were to drive over a speed bump, that the results could be detrimental. So that's why I was in the ER department for four days straight because I couldn't be moved. Wait, let let me ask you, like, what was that moment where what made you get in, like, to go seek that? Man, um... I had, what's crazy is that I had shortness of breath for at least two years. Because a lot of times people like go through certain things until they have their heart attack, right? And you noticed this thing. I noticed it. Like, Was this something that you've been noticing for a while and just been like, "Uh, I don't know. I did. What was that moment? Or was there not one no, in it? You there, were just like, it's, a, a, it's compounding. There was, like, there's been too I, many of these when going on. When it started, I felt it. Like, I couldn't walk up a flight out of, flight, one flight of stairs without being short of breath. Wow. And um, my doctor at the time, like, I would tell her what's going on. Like, hey, um, I feel a certain way. And she would run tests on me, and she just couldn't figure it out. Mm. Even with me telling her, like, she knew what I did for a living, and she knew I... I flew long flights. Mm-hmm. She didn't put that together along with the birth control she was prescribing to me or the fact that I was clearly telling her, like, yo, I smoke cigars. I'm not a smoker like that, but I smoke cigars. She didn't. She couldn't put any of that together. Mm-hmm. And I remember I just got back from Atlanta, and I'm like, okay, I'm feeling worse. I went to go see her on a Wednesday, and she said, well, I'll just prescribe you more medication and... You know, if it gets bad, just go to the ER. Yeah. I'm like, what doctor says that? Just, yeah. Just go to the... You know what I say? <laughs> well, it, well, it, it, it's like, yeah, if it just gets bad, just go to the... Yeah, you have all level the, ten. You have all yeah, run to level. If it gets a little bad, run to level yeah, ten. Because we're there and see what kind of like pills they got coming on in there. And I've, that's all she was doing. She was just she just kept giving me pills, and I wasn't getting any better. I was getting worse, in fact. It's it's wild to think that had you and may, maybe not gone or have waited just a little longer. Yeah. It, like. Yeah. No. So I saw my doctor on a Wednesday. Thursday, I stayed home that Friday. I had things to do. Like I took my dog to the groomers. I got a haircut. I got a massage. I got my car wash. This whole time, it hurt to inhale. Oh, my. I wow. felt like this pain in my chest. And I, that, I think that was the, as worse as I, it's gotten. Like, I, it hurt, yeah, it hurt to breathe. Like, you need to breathe to live. When you start having to listen to your body, there's, there's so much belief in, in our system of like, you're going through this, mm-hmm. but it's not as catastrophic yet. Yeah. Right? It's one of those things of like, there's something wrong. Right? And, in our society, I feel like we are living lives of there's something that's not right, but until it becomes wrong, yeah, catastrophically wrong, it's not an issue, right? Right? Did you kind of have to get up to that moment of like, okay, something is really, really wrong, and I need to like, whew, thank God I got here. Or was it like, 
okay, this is just like not right. Like I need to go like check my health. I thought I was doing my due diligence by going to the doctor and trying to figure it out. Yeah. And um, I'm very like if I get sick, I try not to take meds. Like oh, sleep it off, walk it off, sweat it out. That Friday night, I thought, I remember calling my homegirl and asking her, like, yo, I feel real bad. Like, yeah. Here, this pain in my chest every time I inhale, it's not right. Can you can you imagine that? Like, I just want to take a second, right? Mm-hmm. You're feeling that. Mm-hmm. You're calling homegirl, like, yo, girl. <laughs> I like, can't I'm breathe. What you doing? <laughs> I'm feeling something great. <laughs> like, my doctor's not helping. Yeah, how, 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 was, how was the movie you went to? Oh, you went to Il Pasado, cool, like... <laughs> Yeah, but girl, I'm feeling this pain right now. Instead of like that even happening and you being in the whip ready to go to the emergency room. What's going on? I can't breathe. Girl, what are you doing? Girl, girl, if you only knew the pain my chest was going through today. Ooh. And I, I asked her, I was like, should I go to the ER? She said, you know, if if you really feel like you should go, you should go. I'm like, nah, you know, I'll see how I feel in the morning. She should have said I feel like I can sleep down. it off. And then I think by 11.50, I'm like, I can't even sleep because of the pain. Let me just go to the ER. And, yeah. Sure enough. Sure enough. It was bad. It it was bad. So, you like, you got that information, mm-hmm. right? You realize there, there, there's a bunch of adjustments you need to make to your lifestyle, mm-hmm. which now, at this point of no return... Like, there's no getting around it. Can you take us through what's going through your head in terms of just, like, looking at it and how you were going to move forward from this point? Luckily, the guys at work were very understanding as far as, all right, you need to take some time off. Yeah. Definitely take care of you. Stay in L.A., you know, do whatever you need to do for you. Just the act of continuing to give and get involved, get involved with different charities and finding other ways to give other than hashtag lunch bag. Mm. I figured, okay, well, I'm in L.A. now. What else can I do besides hashtag lunch bag now that I have all this time in my hands? Yeah, now you're, you're forced to be in L.A. Right. You know, as a form of therapy, I started painting. Oh, nice. Have you ever painted before? No. Okay. Like, okay, I painted once before. I like this wine and sip, sip and paint event. Uh, yeah. But. Those are great, by the way. Yeah. And so I, I started painting as a form of therapy. Actually, I wasn't doing it for therapy. I just started painting and it became my form of therapy. Just being able to create again mm-hmm. and express myself artistically and that you know that was something that I ended up loving to do that took up some time since I wasn't working or traveling as much and another thing I did was I formed another charity called Fresh Start LA so Fresh Start LA let's, let's get into Fresh Start yeah so I think it was around Thanksgiving 2013 my friend Jazzy and Heather and I, we all met up and we were trying to think of an, an event that we could host. We had a lot of clothes, a lot of 
clothes that were donated to us from, well, Jazzy's friend, family friend had donated or had given her a bunch of clothes and Jazzy didn't know what to do with it. Mm. And I had a bunch of clothes from from a family friend. He moved out of the house mm. and he didn't want to keep any of his clothes. A lot of the items were new or lightly warm. So lightly warm. So Jazzy and I just had a bunch of clothes with nothing to do with it. And so we were trying to figure out, okay, well, what can we do with this stuff? Who do we want to give back to and how do we want to do this? Mm -hmm. And then we thought about, well, why don't we give clothes to kids or to students who need them? And we were trying to figure out like, okay, so when will we host this event? Like, well, okay, let's host it in January. That gives us two months of lead time to plan an event. Yeah. We'll host it in January, right before school starts after Christmas break. And, okay, well, what are we going to call it? Uh, how about Fresh Start? You know, oh. it's a new year. We're going to give kids fresh clothes. Fresh Start kind of fits. Then I, I remember Googling, like, Fresh Start. Oh, it already exists. Mm. Well, let's use PH, Fresh Start. Oh, yeah. it's a weed dispensary in, in Oregon. Right. <laughs> right. And, but we, re, re, we were really stuck on Fresh Start. And then I said, well, why don't we just tag LA at the end of that? Mm. So Fresh Start LA was born Thanksgiving 2013. Amazing. Then we were thinking of concepts of, okay, well, we just don't want to pull up to home to group homes or to kids like hey kids come get some clothes like we didn't want to seem creepy like that we wanted to we wanted the event or our charity to seem cool like hashtag lunch bag is cool yeah. how can we make giving clothes to kids cool and then we thought of the concept of building out a store displaying all the clothes as if it's a store and letting kids come in and have a shopping spree. I love that idea. And that is exactly what Fresh Start is and what we do. So we launched our first event January 2014, and it's been annual since. That's amazing. And it's such a cool way because going back to like your world in charity right now. Yeah. And the need to make it cool, right? Mm -hmm. It has to have that feel. It has to have that engagement. And it has to value people in the community around it doing it. It's, it's just dope to hear setting up a store. Like, it also empowers those kids to pick the things they want. So it doesn't right. feel like, hey, here's some spare clothes. Or right, right. here's hand-me-downs. Right. Or here's, like, second-degree stuff. It's, it's an empowering feeling that also goes back to kind of that element of humanity of the, the underserved and underprivileged are not different than any one of us. Right. And for you taking this time in L.A. and, and putting your efforts towards the charity and, and painting and expressing yourself, have you felt more like getting back to kind of who you are in a sense, like away from the big grind, 10-year grind career, and now getting a little more in touch with kind of things that are meaningful to you? Absolutely. I felt like with my time off from work, I was able to get in touch with my artistry mm -hmm. and painting and connecting with people the way I wasn't connecting with them before while I was too busy working or traveling. Bringing the connection back. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, giving back to 
people in general is important to me, but I think giving back to children and to teenagers is super imperative, Mm. especially in this day and age where kids are kids kind of lean on media or social media for inspiration or influences like there aren't too many positive people to look up to sometimes on social media Mm -hmm. especially as far as popular influences what they look up to reality stars and ig models that's really not (laughs) the best influence yeah so you know kids and the youth in general just need they need to know that they're loved and that people still care absolutely i mean going back to like when you were in high school yeah and you know, you teach like that that power of influence especially with the youth is so important absolutely it really is yeah no it's 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 one of it's it's inspiring that next generation and i think the fulfillment that you get from doing that is equally as important too yeah and what keeps you going and driving it kind of makes you realize what really is important and something like the music industry or just entertainment in general or just like the rat race of what life can be where you're grinding and grinding and you're grinding and you have this health scare and it kind of brings you back to like okay it puts life into perspective yeah what's really important what really makes me feel successful what makes me feel great what wakes me up in the morning yeah you know those feelings start to change and it could be it's actually like how you physically feel when these things are going on and and what the power of charity can do right it makes you feel inspired the same way you're inspiring others i want to know this Right. Because now we're getting to a point where you're moving through life. Right. As you as you've said, you're falling into these things like your choices. You're falling into these things that that you really thrive in. Mm -hmm. Right. Your work is going great. You're, You're experiencing so many things. You're a part of something that's blossoming into greatness like as your team from the dynasty to imagine is growing like everything is hitting on all cylinders you're finding appreciation in giving back then you get hit with a life blow of take your health into consideration right Mm -hmm. you're moving through this kind of wave of life of yeah i'm giving all of myself to what i'm doing and what i'm building and then health comes in and makes you take it 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 makes you literally flip your paradigm 180 degrees Mm. and it makes you really look into self Mm -hmm. right and it, it it makes you understand that whoa I'm human. Right. I'm alive and there are things that like I feel like that health scare was one of those things of whoa, I exist. Yeah. Like now like you're coming into this point of everything that I'm doing isn't just for where I want to go. Everything that I'm doing is also affecting me right now who I am, how I live, what my health is, mm-hmm. right? And then through that, you're finding your, your passions in, 
in art and expressing, right? And you're reaching this kind of transitional moment, yeah. right? Of instead of how can I keep growing, right? It becomes how is what I'm doing affecting me? Yeah. I feel like that moment for you, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that moment for you was like, whoa, I may need to start looking at me now right we're living through this life of go 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 right for our wants and our aspirations but like let's take a step back and feel the depth and the importance of if i'm not healthy how the hell can i do this Mm -hmm. right so you start to pivot a little bit Right. You start to look a little more internal a little bit. What are your thoughts going through your head uh, in terms of thinking about you more now and what you want now and how the decisions not only in your career but in your health are affecting you now? And how was that element in terms of your transitions? Definitely getting sick and and that moment that I lived through made me refocus on myself and I really had to ask myself like what's my purpose like what what do I want to do what do I want to do next if there is a next if not I'm I'm fine with with my current career but I really had to ask myself okay like I need to start focusing on me and you know, what makes me happy? Mm-hmm. And I had realized that giving and living the best life that I possibly could for myself is what made me happy. Making sure that my friends and family were good, the people who I neglected for such a long time while I was working so hard, making making sure that they were good. Um giving back to my community, the community that born and raised me. Yeah, yeah. Making sure that the community was flourishing somehow. And also giving back to you, no? Giving back to myself. Mm-hmm. Really focusing and touching on self-love mm. was absolutely key. And, you know, there's absolute. I had to tell myself, well, like, Les, there's more to life than what you're living now. Not that my life was horrible or yeah. bad. It was definitely has been a crazy ride. There's more that defines but, this. Yeah, but there's so much more to it, and you just got to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And 2014, you know, I spent recovering. I spent that year painting. I spent that year giving back. Just doing things that made my soul happy. Like, uh. Not too many. (laughs) (laughs) People forget to feed. (laughs) Let it out. Let it out. People forget to feed their souls. Absolutely. Or they get lost in a sauce. Like a lot of people can get lost in the vanity of what I do for a living. Like I see other people who are along the same lines as me getting lost in that life, letting the industry, not being part of the industry, but like becoming the industry and being of it. I never wanted that for myself. I always wanted to be able to move the way I move in the industry 
but also be able to detach myself from that and try and live a normal life. Mm -hmm. And for me, normalcy has been giving back, painting, really practicing self-love and just spending time with friends and family and just doing all the things that made me happy. Refocusing my focus on me. Yeah. Along with doing my job. Now, yeah. for, so for me, 2014 and 15 was now being able to juggle work life and Leslie life, my uh. own life. So I became less of a workaholic in 2014 and 15. And in 2015, I, I really felt like, okay, art, my art stuff was booming, by the way. Um, uh, so I started. Talk to him, Les. <laughs> talk to him, Les. I was booming. Picasso in the building. I started painting January 2014. And. You know, I was painting because I was sick. I couldn't travel. And uh, I would post my art on Instagram and people would comment like, hey, I want to buy that. I would never take them serious. And then in April, a friend of mine literally called me and said, hey, I want to buy that painting. And then I thought, okay, well, maybe this uh, this can be something. I can make a little money off of this. So I continued painting. And with the connections I had, like, I had a gallery available to me at my disposal, so mm. I would just host my own art shows. I didn't wait for a gallery to hit me up or a dealer to hit me and say, And be like, hey, look, we'll, we'll, we'll host it and take 50% right. of your, your, yeah. your, your craft, right. but like, you're with X group. Right. Like, right. You know the prestige that yeah, comes with yeah. this. Right. So I, I just started doing it on my own. I hosted my own shows, and by the end of 2015, I had like, I've had two solo shows in LA, a solo show in New York, and I did Art Basel for the first time. How was 2015. that? 2015. Dope. So much. Like, the city is just full of art, street art. Um, galleries are open. Scope has a huge gallery out there on the beach. Like, Art Basel is lit. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> How does it feel to be an artist? I, let me rephrase that. Mm -hmm. One, yes. How does it feel to be an artist? But two, to look at yourself as an artist or almost that have an identity as an artist. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that? Um, I'll answer the first question. How does it feel to be an artist? It feels great. I'm now, there's now an avenue for me to express myself again. Incredible. Like the last time I had an avenue was over 10 years ago when I was dancing. Yeah. So being able to have being able to express myself in such a visual and powerful way visual colorful and powerful way like it's freeing mm -hmm. now here i am going along with the lines of doing things that make me happy mm. so art has become that for me i you know i really i don't see myself as an artist like that's, my that's my artist name is lsmr just simply my initials but I don't talk about my art too much on like my personal socials, mm -hmm. but on my artist socials, like of course I post my art. I have a website just all dedicated to my art, but not too many people know that I paint, especially mm -hmm. if like you've just met me like within the past year and a half, you probably don't even know that I paint. But, um, you know, I, I'm not doing it for the look or for money. I'm really doing it for expression. But if a person is interested in buying, of course I'll, be open to tell but 
No, beautiful because it's not like you change careers of like I'm gonna be an artist. Yeah, and this is it's it's really coming from a free and um, expressive, pure place. Yeah, and I think because of that, it's shining and getting recognized too. I think there's a cool element of of your expectations within the reasons why you're doing it right are the same reasons why you're becoming more successful with it yeah and i never wanted to be seen i never want to be known like i don't want people to think that i'm doing it that i was that i'm painting just for the look of it like Mm -hmm. i know i actually i know a lot of dope painters and artists who haven't had the same opportunities as i Mm mm-hmm so I kind of, I, I like to keep it toned down. Yeah. Um, but I've, I want, I actually want to start helping other artists, maybe managing other artists and it kind of bridging the gap between their art and their talent to my connections, like using all the same connections I had for my art mm-hmm. for other artists. So I don't just want to keep the connections to myself. I want to give and help other artists absolutely that also falls in in the lines of me giving and helping others and doing things that make my make me happy yeah it's you're it's crazy to see because you're still progressing in a very on a very successful track Mm -hmm. doing the things that actually fulfill your soul Mm -hmm. and sometimes we think those things that fulfill ourselves have to just be hobbies and that they, oh, I just do that on the side or I just, but from what you're doing, it's like you're living all elements of your life in that new realm. And because it's not coming from a place like I need to make money off this, I need to survive off this. And it's really coming from just how you want to drive and what the person you want to be now. It's just so happening that you can start living in that direction too Mm -hmm. and those things are becoming more successful. With that being said, what's the next step for you and where you want to go with all this? Towards the end of 2015, I considered moving to New York. Mm. I feel like I've done a lot in LA. Like I've held LA down for 30 years. Yeah. Pretty much my whole life. And so I wanted to move to New York, but just couldn't find the right opportunity then. In 2016, I was in a relationship, so that kind of held me in L.A. And then at the top of this year, I got out of that relationship, and I figured I actually was depressed. I went through three months of depression at the top of this year. Can you take us through that? Like, yeah. Like what, 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 what was it from? Like, what? It was from, you know, the ending of the relationship and me feeling like 2016 was a wash. Mm. So at the at the end of 2015, I was transitioning out of being Nas's day-to-day manager. Okay. So I moved from Nas to another rapper. With the second rapper, it didn't last that long. So for all throughout 2016, I didn't have an artist mm. that was assigned to me through the management company and so i was kind of you know 2016 i felt a bit stagnant as far as work i was in limbo i was still getting a check though yeah so like it was kind of a paid vacation so one wouldn't complain about that however me being such a workaholic like 
I've pretty much ran my whole life come on, <laughs> with now. you guys. Like, like I on, work, yeah. I stay yeah. busy. Yeah. You've been in sports. You've, yeah. been, you've been a part of squads. You've been a part of teams. Yeah. yeah. So in 2016, I was pretty stagnant. I wasn't doing. It's crazy when the vacation isn't as like blissful as you think. Right. <laughs> like I'm getting paid to chill. Right. Cool. Now what? But like that cool is like, what's going on? <laughs> Something's wrong. Right. Yeah. Like I'm not being productive and I love to be productive. Yeah. And um, paid vacation, you think, oh, you were able to stack up a lot. Actually, no, I wasn't able to stack <laughs> up a lot because I'm not working, so I'm constantly spending this my check. Absolutely. Just trying to, you know, cover time. But, you know, in 2016, I was definitely stagnant as far as work. And I wasn't painting as much as I was the first two years. I was kind of so invested in this relationship and then for it to not work out, to not only the, my relationship not to work out, to feel stagnant in work and non-productive and to like have this halt in my artistry when all of that kind of came down mm. at the end of 2016. I started off this year like depressed. Mm. <sighs> like what's next? What? What am I doing? I'm still kind of, I'm still stagnant. What's work. my happy? I'm still unfulfilled. Um, yeah, I spent the first three months of this year depressed, just really down. I still continue to give back. Yeah. I think though, like the moments of hashtag lunch bag were the, the sparks in my yeah. month. Mm -hmm. That was the oxygen tank. Yeah, but other than that, that was it. And I, I was trying to figure it out, like... Okay, like eventually the depression, like the sadness from the relationship will go away. Yeah. But as you guys start thinking about work, what do you want to do? Do you kind of just want to wait around and wait for the next artist or? Do you want something new? Do I want something new? And I've, I thought about what I was trying to do before I had entered that relationship, which was look for an opportunity in New York. And so I decided to, I decided that I, that's probably something I needed. So when I traveled to New York in March, I kind of met up with a few people. With that in mind. With that in mind. Like, Got hey, it. just to let you know, I'm thinking about moving on from Imagine. If anything comes up, you know, think of me. It's, it, it, it's beautiful to me to, to, to think about like that move being directly attached to your personal happiness. Yeah. Right. It was. Which is, which is what allows you to be able to like, be like, look, I know I want an opportunity in New York. When I go to New York, it's going to be like, hey, yes, I'm here, but I'm looking for something different. Yeah. And you can say that with conviction as opposed to feeling like you're letting something down. Right. Mm -hmm. Because like a lot of us are loyal to a fault. Right. We don't want to feel like we're giving something up. But when we when we truly start to internalize our internal happiness, self becomes far more greater than the community. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you start to really establish the fact that like community can only be as strong as how much strength I have in my view as a participant in this community. Mm -hmm. Right. I don't want to be dead weight anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Nor does my life carry as much value um, when considering the team and suppressing my own 
wants and needs anymore to the greater good of the bigger picture, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes the bigger picture, although as grandiose as it may be, may not be, happiness may not be directly attached to our part in that, mm-hmm. right? And seeing the, 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 the levels of life and the experiences that you've had to traverse through and also the health scenarios and just kind of like looking back internally for you to be able to say like, well, I want to start exploring this now for me. Yeah. Right. I had to. There's something yeah. that needs to be selfish about selflessness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, Les has to be at one in order for anything around her to thrive. Yeah. Right. If I'm not happy, nobody else will be. Mm-hmm. Right. So now we're taking. Les's life into consideration. Yeah. And now we're putting that into the open. Right. I want to ask you, was that tough to you to like bring a voice to that to your team? Was that something that you kind of felt you had to hold back on? Or did you kind of get to a point in your life where it's like, look, my health is this way. I love y'all to death, but like I've been exploring this. And I want to openly say it. Or was it something that ate at you for a little while? Anthony and I started having the, these conversations December of last year. Mm. Just with... Was it tough to start with? Or was it something it, that... It was tough. I remember I didn't have the conversation with him or I didn't bring it up till we were at a company Christmas party and after a couple like shots of... I feel you. <laughs> shots of Henny. Like- pulled him to the side like, yo, so... This is what's going on. And you know, Anthony's so amazing. He's was supportive of it off John. Lightweight, he knew. Yeah. How'd you feel after you started like bringing this conversation up? Because look, we all know Anthony's a great leader. Absolutely. Right? We also all know that like there's a little pit in you that started from so early that it's like, this isn't me leaving this. Right. But like I just need to let you know that I need personally and being in a world where personally whatever's going on with you, you need to put that on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Right? But there comes a moment in our lives where personally we have our own wants and needs and aspirations. And if it does not align with the group anymore, we need to bring it up. Mm-hmm. Right. What was that transition like for you in, in in that regard? So when Anthony and I spoke about it, it was light. It was, hey, you know, he's going through tra- some transitions as well. And, you know, it was a, a pretty light conversation as far as the conversation were, was actually about his transitions. And I, uh. and I asked, so what does that mean for me? And he said, you know, it's time for us, for everyone to start, you know, looking into something new. Wow. And so, so that was the light conversation in December and then February. Was that a little comforting for you? Like, okay, it may be. It was, it it was comforting. Like, okay, the time has come as far as it's time for me to do something different, Mm -hmm. but it was also nerve wracking. Like, oh, my paid vacation is about to end Uh, and you still don't, you you need to line something up because you don't, I didn't know when it was going to end. So 
then he and I had another conversation in February. And that's when I knew, like, okay, it's go time. I I want to move on. Especially with, like, how I was feeling about the rela- my relationship ending. Like, m- me having to figure out my next move was actually what helped me get over the relationship. Because now I could no longer focus or sulk over some a relationship that wasn't meant to be anyway, it's time for me to refocus back on myself and yeah. what I was going to do next. So I went to New York, kind of st- had some conversations, and I remember going to Austin for South by Southwest for work, and then I came back to L.A. just thinking, like, I felt horrible. Uh. Like, no relationship, might not have a job soon or a job lined up what am I doing? Like, mm. and then I thought to myself, I've been working with these guys my whole adult life. I've known most of them since I was in high school. And I, I had this struggle, not a struggle, but I had this thought, like, who is Leslie Rosales without Imagine, yeah. without Anthony, without What Nas? is my identity? I yeah. asked myself that. Wow. Like, Leslie, who who are you? That's a wild question. And do people care? Would people still care about you or would people if you weren't attached. still mess with you? Yeah. If I wasn't attached to those people. Like 10 years is a long time. And that's well, a very years. honest thought. Nine years says, is a that's long a very honest time. thought though. And it's super honest because and it we was we put our self-worth on that what we're doing. Right. Is it what, Leslie what we're contributing? Yeah, or is it Leslie from Imagine? Right. It's like the the um, the connection ultimately can become your identity. Right. Especially in this business. You know, I, and I had that moment with my art too. Do people like my art because I'm Leslie with this people? Or do people like my art because my what's art is dope? What's real and what's not? It's, it's right. Like when a I've, had, I've in, had those moments, man. Yeah, it's like when a person's in a band or like a, a rap duo or something and they break off to do their solo stuff. Yeah. It's like, do, are people still going to mess with them or they only oh. like them because they were like in, <laughs> yeah. the, in the band? Yeah. And like, oh, your solo stuff's all right, but can you go back? You know? yeah. For real. It's, yeah. it's that same kind of thing. So I had those moments in March. Like, who are you? Leslie, who are you? Who like, are you? Can you really... Like, who are you? And then I I had to tell myself, like, I, and I've had, of course, I've had conversations with Anthony and Nas since or during that time. Like, they're still my brothers and they still care about me and they still have my best interest. And even if I were to move on to another company, I still have that relationship yeah. with them. They're still family. Mm-hmm. Nothing's really going to change. And if people don't mess with me, if I leave then they didn't mess with you in the first place exactly Mm. exactly because it wasn't you exactly so you know I had to step myself out of questioning and being doubtful of myself and just really believing in myself and just pushing through like this is what's going on in life now so I gotta figure out the next move yeah yeah and and where is that? Ne- I, I feel like we're coming <laughs> to like a gorgeous scenario. So now where we leave off, I feel like the next move is very recent. Yeah. And where is that next move? So in March, I had several meetings back and forth in New York. And then in top of June, I was offered a position and I accepted it. And 
I've moved to New York, and I'm now a project manager at Def Jam Recordings. Ah, beautiful. Ah. Whoop. And with that being said, you know what's crazy? We about to hit this. Mama, we made 